0: Okay, welcome to the Healing School in December of 2006. This is the last one this year, the last Healing School this year. And then January, we start off with a new round 12 more for next year. Praise the Lord. One every month, the second Saturday of every month. And I don't even know. I guess I'm going to start keeping record, but I think this is about 10 years I've been doing this. I think you know, i teaching a Healing School at least 10 years. Come in, brother. Praise the Lord. Come on in. Glory to God. Okay, let's come to the Lord in prayer, and we'll get started on the December Healing School 2006. Father, in the name of Jesus, Lord, we thank you and praise you and worship you that you are the King of kings and Lord of lords and God of gods. And you're our Lord. You're our God. You're our Savior. You're our healer. You're our provider. You're our everything, Father. And Lord, we thank you that you are the mighty king, the king that answers prayer, the king that does wonderful things for us when we do what you say. Lord, you even do wonderful things for us when we don't do what you say. But Lord, we praise you and thank you that you are so merciful and compassionate. And Lord, we just love you and we want you to speak through me today. We want you to open our ears and our hearts and our eyes that we may see and hear and understand your word. So we can do what your word says. Now, Lord, I want to thank you and praise you for this day. And may you be glorified in everything we do today. And Lord, Lord, may every person here hear your words today and receive your mighty words. And if they have a need for healing, Lord, let them get to the point where they can receive the healing power of the King that's in those of us that believe. Thank you, Father. For this precious day. Bless everything we do today. In Jesus name. Amen. Amen. Well praise the Lord. It's good that uh, you are here today. We praise the Lord and thank him. uh, For bringing people to the healing school. It's his healing school. Uh, We work for him. So if there's one here or a hundred here. We will be here. That's what we come prepared to do. But today, I, I want to talk to you a little bit more. As there's so many things that pertain to healing and walking in health. Come in, brother. Praise the Lord. Good to have you, Randy. Glory, glory. Good to have you. The, the thing that I've come to realize, and that I think many of us do realize it, but I sometimes think we so quickly forget that as human beings, you and I, are in a battle every day of our life. You know, you're in a war. Now, you know, you're, you're really not in the war too much when you're lost. Because you're already a loser. You know, you're already a loser. You've lost, There's. I mean, the, the battle is going on, but you can't fight the battle from that side. I mean, the devil, he is there. You belong to him. And you have no power over him, you're his child, and he will do with you whatever he wants to do with you. He will take you captive at his will, he will do anything he wants to do to you, anytime he wants to do it to you as a lost person. You have no say-so, none whatsoever. Now then, you don't have to stay like that. You, anybody, anybody on this earth can come to Christ and accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And the scripture clearly tells us that when we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, he delivers us from the kingdom of darkness. And he translates us or puts us over into the kingdom of light or the kingdom of his dear son. And you and I become children of the Most High God. Now at that point, most of us don't have a clue of what we've done, I didn't, but at that point every spiritual blessing became yours. At that point you became seated with the King and the heavenlies. At that point the God of Gods, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, His Holy Spirit moved up inside and took up residency inside of you. He's the greatest power in the universe. And he's in you. God in you. This was a mystery that was hidden before the foundations of the world. Paul told us clearly in 1 Corinthians that if the devil had have known what he was doing, he would have never crucified the Son of Glory. So the devil is the one that crucified Jesus. He did it through people, but he was the instigator behind this. But in the process of doing this, Satan was defeated. Jesus came and completely defeated Satan, completely triumphed over him, and completely defeated him. And now then, you and I, according to the scripture, have been given all power over the devil and his demons. And Satan and his demons have to be subject to you and I. But the average Christian is just like I was, I live most of my life not knowing any of these things. I was not taught them in church. Well, I can't put my finger out and say, well, woe is the Baptist church. Why didn't they teach me these things? I'll tell you why they didn't teach them to me. They didn't know them. They didn't know them. The doctors of theology that's reading and teaching the Word of God in our seminaries don't know these things. They read them, but they've not become a revelation to them. I take a man that I know, I love this old gentleman. In fact, I don't know really now whether he's even still alive himself or not. But 10 years ago, he was a doctor of theology at the Baptist Seminary. His favorite book was the book of John. He almost had the book of John memorized. I mean, he had taught in the seminary as a doctor of theology for years and years and years. One day, as he was serving as an interim pastor for us at our little Baptist church, our pastor had left and we didn't have another pastor. So he came out to serve as an interim pastor. So after about three or four months, every Sunday, morning and night, he's there. You know, of course, on a Wednesday night, one of us deacons would take it, you know, because we didn't have but, you know, sometimes 10 or 15 people there on Wednesday night. So one of the deacons would do the little service on Wednesday night, which I was a deacon. Once in a while, I'd do one. But one Sunday he was there after two or three months, and I asked him, I said, Brother so-and-so, I said, are, are you married? He said, oh, yeah. I said, well, I, I've never seen your wife come with you. Well, he said, Thurman, she can't come with me. I said, why? He said, well, she has cancer. I said, so what have you done about it? He said, well, we've been to the doctor. She's had surgery a couple of times. She's taken chemo. She's done all those things, but she's just sick all the time. I said, but how about the word? He said, what do you mean? How about the word? I said, well, sir, what about James 5 14, 15, and 16? He knew the scripture. He said, well, you don't really think that works today, do you? I said, do you believe that Romans 10, 8, 9, and 10 works today? See, that's a Baptist favorite scripture. <laughs> Romans 10, 8, 9, and 10, we have a revelation on that, that the word is nigh thee. It is in your mouth and in your heart. That if you will confess with your mouth and believe with your heart, there's a the kicker. And believe with your, you'll be saved. But see that word right there also says, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that the Father raised Him from the dead, the word in the Greek is that word right there, "sozo." And that word also means healed. It means all those things. But see, he believed. That if you confess with your mouth and believe, if confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, that first word, he believed that, you could be saved. But he didn't believe the second one, be healed. He did not realize that the healing of his wife was at her tongue's tip. But it not only had to be there, as Ty and I was talking a while ago, it had to make that little short trip here to your spirit, your heart. When your spirit man or your heart believes that you're really a child of God, ain't no devil can steal it from you. When you know, when somebody says, you know, nobody should have to ask you, are you a Christian? You know, when you come to work, to the workplace, they say, well, I'd wonder who, who, who's, who's Christians at the workplace? Somebody say, boy, I know Randy's a Christian. They said, what makes you think? He said, that boy's always talking about Jesus. He's doing everything like Jesus does. He's got to be a Christian. That's the way we ought to be known. You know that? Somebody said, anybody at work a Christian? Well, I don't know. Well, how about this old kid Randy down here? Well, him? I mean, he goes out and drinks and runs around with wild girls and Rides crazy, stupid motorcycles upside down and all kinds of crazy things. Him, a Christian, he uses foul language and hangs out in the bars. No, 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 he couldn't be a Christian. Now, see, if you done those things, that wouldn't be very good witness that you were a Christian, would it, Randy? Not, not, Not much. But if you're always talking about Jesus, you're always in the word. They say, who's a Christian around here? Oh, Randy, he's, a, I mean, that boy's a Christian. I mean, he talks about Jesus. That's all he's all. Anytime anybody's got a problem, he said, let me pray for you. he got to be a Christian. See, people ought to know that you're Christian or not Christian. And, you know, the sad thing about it is somebody says, well, okay, I don't think I want to be a Christian because I've known a lot of people that said they were Christians and they ain't no different than me. They do the same things, you know, they got just as much oppression, depression, and everything else, spend as much time in the hospital and everything as I do, so why, why should I be a Christian? That's just like yesterday, we were talking with a gentleman, and he's a preacher, and the only thing he and I totally disagreed on, and the whole day, we discussed all day long, we were all together, he believes Paul was sick, and I don't believe Paul was sick at all, you know. I mean, I don't believe that. Of course, my whole case about that is if I was like, I told him, I said, Paul went to Ephesus and preached salvation, healing and deliverance. And there was a man there that had never walked in his whole life. And he listened to what Paul was saying. And all of a sudden, Paul looked back there and he said, brother, I see that you have faith to be healed. He said, stand up and walk. And the man got up and walked. I said, I'm going to tell you, if Paul was having trouble, if he was attacked and he was had pus running out of his lies like people were saying and all the different things, and he was weak and afflicted and he couldn't walk, how are you going to go and teach people how to get healed if you can't walk in it yourself? I said, you know, if I was to go down and say, I'm going to teach a healing school, and I've been teaching a healing school for the last 10 or 15 years, but I've been in and out of the hospital myself 20 times in the last 10 or 15 years, and every time I can't come to the healing school this week, I'm going to have to have somebody else do it because I'm sick. Somebody said, well, I don't guess I need to know what that guy knows. But if you know, Thurman ain't had a sick day in 20 years, he's learned something. Besides that, I went down there, and he told me what to do, and I got delivered and healed. Hey, that makes a difference, doesn't it, Randy? It made a difference in your life, didn't it, son? Randy, of course, he had seizures for years. He didn't know what brought him on. But when his pastor brought him to me, and I told him what brought him on, and that he had to repent of his sins and straighten up his life, and walk with God. I said, if that, in that case, Jesus will deliver you. And, of course, after we cast the demons out of him, because he had them. Everybody does, you know, that's got some kind of sickness. And a lot of you that are not sick got demons and don't even know you got them. I had them. Jesus told me I had them. There's nothing any more devastating when the king speaks to you and says, you have a spirit of infirmity living in your body. What, Lord? Me? I'm a Baptist deacon filled with the Holy Ghost and power. And I got a demon? Yes, you got a demon. What is it? Well, he told me. And he told me I had power over it. And I cast it out. And that problem, infirmity I'd had for years went away. Did I see a manifestation? No, I didn't. Just like whenever we cast the demons out of Randy. We didn't see. He didn't fall down on the floor and kick and stomp and jump and spit and cuss and all those things. He didn't see nothing happen. He didn't notice Nothing. When we cast the demons out of him, and he said, well, well, should I continue to take my medicine? He said, I've been having these seizures for years. I said, that's between you and God. I don't know. I said, you just ask him. I said, I'm not going to tell you to get off your medicine, but if Jesus wants you off that medicine, he'll take you off that medicine. So he gets on his motorcycle from Justin, where we had the healing school, and rides back to Denton, where he lives. And when he got home, he started reaching in his pocket to that jacket to get the medicine out, which he'd been carrying in pockets for years, and all of it was gone. Every bit of it was gone. He didn't have no medicine. Since he'd been carrying it in those pockets, and had never lost it, and this trip he lost it all. It must have been God was through with his medicine, don't you think? And so he never did go get any more. You ain't had a seizure since, have you? No. August a year ago, he ain't had another seizure. And he was having them things sometimes, what, two or three times a week? Whoa! is Jesus good, Randy? Yes. Jesus is good. But now you've got to do what the king says, right? You've got to obey him. Because you don't want to go back and start disobeying. Because if you do, they're going to come back. You know that, don't you? Yeah. I had a person that also was just like him that we cast demons out of and they stopped having their seizures and everything got good for them. And then they forgot within a year or so, they forgot how bad it was to walk there. So they started sinning again, doing some things they shouldn't have. And let me tell you what, those beasts came back and they came back and they tormented that person. And it was awful. And they brought that person to me two or three times and I could never cast them demons out of that person again. So let me tell you, you know, when you get the demons cast out of you, don't go back to your sin. Because it's a whole lot more fun not having seizures, isn't it? It's a whole lot more fun. I can tell you for sure. I thank the Lord I've never had one. But I know Randy, since he's here, he had a many a one of those for a long time. But since he repented and got rid of them and now he's walking in love, going to church and doing everything God says, he's not having them anymore. Now then, the thing about it is there is a price to pay to get healed. You got to put God first and the the commandment that I've come to realize that we miss the most is the first one. We're supposed to love the Lord our God with all our heart, our mind, and our strength. That is the first commandment. And then we're supposed to love our neighbor as ourself. So how many people you got to love, brother? Everybody. You got to start with God, and then you got to love everybody. Now then, do you want to walk in divine health? Then that's the grounds you're going to have to walk on. Oh, Scott, praise the Lord. That is where you're going to have to walk if you want to walk in health. Now, how many of you want to be sick? Nobody held up their hand. Well, gee whiz. Okay. So, I would love to be able to shut the hospitals down, wouldn't you? Well, now, as Christians, that's where we're supposed to be. We, as Christians, have been commanded to go heal the sick. But we have trouble staying healed ourselves. So if we have trouble staying healed ourselves and delivered from the devil, then the problem is we're not meeting the criteria. Now, the more I study God's word, the more I realize there's only one on this earth you have to make happy. You know who that is? God, the Lord. If you make him happy you will virtually make everybody, at least in the church, happy. Now, I mean, you won't make the people in the world happy because the devil's living in them. And they will come against you. They will make fun of you. They will laugh at you. They will persecute you. They will do everything in their world to make your life miserable or to put you to the test to get you out of a love walk. To get you out of a love walk. I mean, the devil, if you walk in the commandments of God, the devil, he will do everything he can to put you to the test so that this battle that we're fighting, you in fact, it, you know, there was, there was so many years of my life I didn't even know there was such a thing as a battle going on. I was told, and I've heard of many a deacon, when somebody comes to know Jesus in a Baptist church, which I was a member of for years, say, you know, if you just make Jesus Lord of your life, everything will be fine, you know. You, you won't have to worry about nothing after that. You know, you just become a Christian. Hey, the guy don't have a clue what he's talking about. You know, your battle doesn't start until you get saved. When you get saved, the, I, know, I know people that were not sick until they got saved. They had so many doors open to the devil and he was hovering around them, and whenever they got saved, the devil attacked them full force, and they didn't have a clue who they were, and they didn't know how to retaliate, and they didn't know what Jesus had done for them. They did not have a clue the power they had over the devil. In fact, I think about this preacher evangelist that Ty brought with him the other day, this evangelist called Michael. Now, he was a kid that was on drugs and alcohol and everything else. I think he was involved, sitting listening to him the other night, I think for a few years, he was involved in everything you get involved in that was sin. Now, I know a lot of men and women that do that, don't you? I mean, I don't know, but he was probably in drugs, he was probably in alcohol, he was probably in sex, he was probably used bad language, he probably done everything that was sin because he was a lost sinner. And he was strung out on stuff. Well, somebody finally told him about Jesus. Well, he got saved. Well, now then, everything changed. He'd been reached over and picked up out of that mirey muck of the devil, and he's been put over here in the kingdom of God, and he's been power washed by the blood, and he's now a son of God. The devil attacked him. It wasn't long until he started coming down with lumps under his arms. And when he saw these lumps, he started praying and asking God to take them off. I mean, you know, I'm now a son of God, although he don't know nothing. He's learning, he's reading the Word, but he feels these bumps, these big old things come up under his arm. Praying, God, please, Lord, I'm your child, now take these things away. And nothing's happening. I mean, we sat right down here after he was here at church with us the other night. We sat down to the restaurant and talked about this for, I don't know, a couple of hours, I guess at least. We have lots of fun talking about our experiences with God, you know, from where we come from. But he said, I kept praying, kept praying, kept praying, asking God to do something. To set me free from these things. And he said, nothing happened. He said, finally, one day, while I was there with my arms up, looking at these things, thinking how bad these things looked, the Lord spoke to me and he said, how long are you going to let those things stay on your body? What do you mean, Lord? How long am I going to let these things stay on my body? He said, I gave you dominion and power. In other words, once you repented of all your sins, I gave you power. I told you to drive the devil out, but use my name to do it. He said, with that revelation, he said, I didn't know that. Of course, that's written all over the Bible in the New Testament, but he didn't know it. So he said, man, I throw them arms up and looked at them things and I cursed them things. and I commanded that devil to come out of me. I commanded that sickness and disease to come out of me and leave me and go to the pit of hell and to never return in Jesus' name. Then I began to thank and worship the Lord for delivering me. He said, the next day I come up there and raise my arms up and there's bigger. He said, Lord, thank you that I'm delivered. That devil's got to be subject to me. He can't stay. In the name of Jesus, I command you, devil, to get out of me. He said, the next day I come and looked and there's bigger. I said, Lord, thank you that you give me power over these things in the name of Jesus' I command these devils to get their hands off me and leave in Jesus' name. He said, about two weeks of that, i run up there one morning and raise my arms up, and it wasn't a thing under there. and said, there ain't never been back. And that'd been years. I don't remember how many years he said, to, but he said, that'd been years ago. Now then, God said in his word, in his name, the name of Jesus, he's given you and me as his sons and daughters power over the devil. You don't have to put up with the devil. You know, he's already given you all power over the devil. So if you're sick and afflicted and you want to get rid of the devil, the thing you've got to do is you must repent of every sin you've ever committed, break every curse that you're under because Jesus redeemed you from the curse by the curse of the law. He set you free from that by the blood of Jesus. It's clearly written in Galatians three thirteen and 14. So in Galatians 3, 13 and 14, it says, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. He became a curse for you so that you can inherit the blessings of Abraham. The blessings that was promised to Abraham in the Abrahamic covenant, which includes salvation, healing, deliverance, and prosperity, all those things belong to you. And he says, you receive them by faith. Now then, how in the world can you receive something by faith if you don't know what it is? Well, see, for years and years and years, even as a Southern Baptist deacon, somebody said, you know you have a covenant with God? And I said, a, ha- a what? Well, you have a covenant with God. I-, I don't have a clue what it is. You don't know what the covenant between you and God is? No. Well, now, how am I going to receive healing by faith if I don't know it's already mine? I can't, can I? I have to believe that this is going to work, and I have to confess it with my mouth and I have to believe with my heart. Now, here's something that a lot of people miss. They will confess healing with their mouth, but they don't believe it here. They don't have it there. Ty and I was just talking about this a few minutes ago. Confession is easy, but leaving is hard. Especially with the devil. In fact, I asked um, the gentleman that we were talking to yesterday. I'm going to invite him to come here and speak in our church sometime in the future. But he was telling us about the battle. He had an experience with God in 1979. As a Southern Baptist preacher, he died and got to go to heaven. And when he got to heaven... He came to the gate and the angel told him, said, if you go through there, you can never go back. And so he stood outside and said, Lord, here I am. And the Lord told him, said, if you come in, he said, I was ready to receive all of my blessings from God. I'd been a Southern Baptist preacher. I'd preached the word. I'd been a street preacher. I'd done all kinds of things. He said, I really thought I was going to get some rewards. He said, God told me, said, you served another God. You served yourself. You didn't do nothing for me on earth. You didn't believe my word, and you're not going to get any blessings when you come into heaven. No rewards. He said, man, I was devastated. He said, you know, you didn't even believe I was a miracle worker. I wrote all over my book I was a miracle worker, and you didn't believe me. He said, so you're not going to get any rewards. He said, Lord, I don't want to come in like this. I want to go back and work for you again. Would you please give me another chance? So the Lord told him he would. But he said, before I send you back, I'm going to take you on a trip of the spirit world and I'm going to show you how it works. So we had the privilege to set from about 10 o'clock yesterday morning to 4 o'clock yesterday afternoon with this man. our whole minister team, seven of us, went down there and sat and talked to him for about six hours. We talked about these things. And he explained to us, this battle that every one of us are in. He reiterated the demons that are around you and me every day that have been sent. In other words, God is in control. He is in control of the devil. And he tells the devil exactly what to do. And the devil sends demons to you to test you. And they'll walk around you and they'll look at you and they'll think, Hmm, hmm. Okay, this is her weak point. We're going to study her out in detail. This is her number one weak point. This is her number two weak point. And this is her number three weak point. So we're going to get her somewhere. And so they begin to put these thoughts in her mind. And now then she, that's why the Lord told us, capture every thought that comes to your mind. Every thought. I saw as as he got through talking to us, I said, so just like I've told in a healing school, a lot of times a pain comes in the back of your hand or in your fingers. You know, since Jesus bore your pain and removed your disease on the cross, you know that pain's coming from the devil. He said, that's exactly right. I said, so now then, if I immediately say, you devil of hell. You pain, I have power and authority over you. In the name of Jesus, I command you to leave and get out in Jesus' name and don't come back. And I said, now, if he leaves, I know I have won the victory real easy. He said, that's right. But he said, what if he don't leave? I said, then I don't give up. The battle's still raging. He said, that's right. I said, so I keep rebuking that devil, and if I have committed any kind of sin, any kind of sin, I've got to make sure I have repented of that sin. He said, that's right. I said, so I'll repent of every sin, and I keep rebuking the devil, and two, three, or four days later, I'm still telling him he's got to go, and finally, at about the fourth or fifth day after my intensive encounter with the enemy, he leaves, and I'm healed, and I won the battle. He said, that's exactly right. He said, now, any time in that, if you think the third day, you think, this stuff don't work. It don't work. I said, I just lost that battle, didn't I? He said, yes, and that demon will put arthritis in your hand. Because you didn't drive him away. The battle's raging. Now, see, the average Christian never spends enough time in God's word ever to understand this. We don't understand it. So we don't know the battle is raging and the devil is here putting you and me to the test. And as he's putting you and me to the test, instead of losing our battles, we need to start winning our battles. We need to capture every thought, every thought that comes to our mind. And we need to realize whenever the devil comes and attacks us, the first thing we need to do is consider all these various trials and tests grumbling space, right? Right? Oh no! That's not what we do. What are we supposed to do whenever that? Count it, all, Count it all. Now there's a woman right there. You need to listen to what that woman said right there. She's got it. Now see, you can see you can see the wisdom in her. You see that gray hair. God says gray hair is wisdom. So we've got two up, three of them back here that's got a lot of wisdom. And the two on the left over here, or on your right, it's got a whole lot more wisdom because you've got a whole lot more gray hair. See, now this lady's getting it, but these two got it. That's wisdom from God. Those gray hairs are threads of wisdom that God put in your... He said that in His Word. So... Whenever the devil attacks you as a son or a daughter of God, the first thing you need to know is, does this beast have legal right to me because of sin? Now, if you've stepped out of this love walk with God, he has legal right and the devil has legal right to put him on you and he put a pain in your hand and you try to drive him away and he does not leave. Now, after two or three or four or five days or a week, You're rebuking him and standing on the word, quoting the word, spending time with God. And that does not go away. You better look for a sin in your life. And you know what the sin may be? Unbelief. Unbelief. Because here's the next question that comes to you. How much time do you spend with God every day? What is your quiet time with the king like? You know? Have you spent time with him every day? Do you praise him and worship him and thank him? Or you come to church on Sunday, and then you don't even think about God again till next Sunday. And then sometimes not even next Sunday. Maybe two or three Sundays before you think about him again. I'm going to tell you, if you live like that, I'm going to tell you for sure, because of your lack of knowledge of the promises of God, you're going to be sick or you're going to be tormented. You're either going to be in a hospital, you're going to be in a mental institution, or you're going to be somewhere that you don't want to be because you're going to be a part of the devil's kingdom. He will take you out. And chances are when you die, you will go to hell. That man yesterday told us something that just I'd heard him say on some teachings. But he told it to us two or three times yesterday. He said in 1979, when he had his death experience, he said, I was walking on a highway to heaven. Yes, he the Lord, Lord, where, where am I? He said, you're on the highway to heaven. He said, Lord, do you mean in Isaiah when you said there's a highway to heaven, you literally meant there's a highway to heaven. He said, that's why I put it in my book. There is a highway to heaven. And he said, in the 15 minutes... He even knew the time of day, I think it was 4.45 in the afternoon until 5 o'clock. That 15 minutes of time from the time he had his artery sever in his body and the blood started running out of his body. In the next 15 minutes of time on earth, 2,000 people worldwide had died. 2,000. That's what he told us. And he said, the Lord told me to count, or the angel told me said count the people on the highway to heaven. And he said, there was 50. 50. So he said, Lord, what happened to the other 1,950? He said they went to hell. That's pretty low. Two and a half percent on this earth. Two and a half percent in 1979, on that day when he died, from the time his arteries severed, Till he was in heaven with the Lord, 15 total minutes took place on earth. And in that 15 minutes, 2,000 people had died and only 50 went to heaven. And the other 1,950 went to hell. You know how many people is going to go to heaven? Every one of those that believe that Jesus is Lord and that obey him. As a lot of people say with their mouth, I believe Jesus is Lord. But they've never made him their Lord, and they don't really believe that here. They're confessing it with their mouth, but they have not met the criteria. When you meet a man or a woman that knows God, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to make this statement to you, and I don't care if you believe it or not, I'm going to tell you, I believe this with all my heart. You will find no alcoholics that are true Christians. You won't find no drug addicts that are true Christians. If you come to know Jesus and you've made him Lord, he will deliver you from all of that. He will deliver you. He will set you free. You cannot be a drug addict and be a child of God. You can't be a murderer and be a child of God. You can't be a drunkard and be a child of God. I don't believe that at all. In other words, somebody said, well, I'm a drunk, I'm a homosexual, and I'm a Christian. No, you're not. You need to know Christ. You need to come to him. You need to stop confessing just with your mouth, and you need to start believing with your heart. Because the minute you confess with your mouth and believe with your heart, that's when you really become a Christian. And when you become a child of God, the king loves you so much, I guarantee he will deliver you from the trash of the world. You will be a changed person. You will be different. If you say you're a Christian, you're no different in the world. You don't know the king. The scripture says that. The scripture says that. So, you know, it should put fear in our hearts. If we say we're Christians and we're not doing what God says, you need to stand in awe. You need to stand in fear. Because if you died with not without truly believing in your heart, do you know where you're going to spend eternity? In a lake of fire. That young man the other day that had that experience had it several years ago, but I watched him on uh, one of the Christian networks. He died and he went to hell. And he said he fell into this place and he was in a place of torment, place of prison. And said, two humongous beings, the most wicked looking things he's ever saw come in. And just one of them just reached out and grabbed him like he's ripping an arm off and picked him up and slammed him against the wall. And he said, I felt all the pain just like it happened to me on earth. He was in hell. And he has written a book called 23 Minutes in Hell. Some of you may have read it. Let me tell you, it took that boy, after God brought him back from that experience, it took him a year before he could even regain his composure and even talk about it. It was that bad. But you don't have to go there. You don't have, Nobody has to go there. Jesus has paid the price so that anybody that comes to him and confesses with their mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart, the Father raised him from the dead, he will save you. But you don't have to be sick either. Nobody has to be sick. I have now learned that that same word, sozo, means healed also. So I've learned that if you will walk in obedience to God's word, you will confess Jesus with your mouth and believe in your heart the Father raised him from the dead. If you will believe that with no doubt in your heart, then when you confess that by faith that I was healed by the stripes of Jesus, your healing will come. When you realize it's a devil that's putting a sickness and disease on you, it's a devil that's attacking your mind. You know, every time every time somebody comes for instance, let's say that somebody comes up to you and they say, just like they did me when I was a young man, here, Thurman, have a cigarette. I said, No, I don't like them things. I don't even I don't I mean, my dad smoked and I smelt them things around the house. I don't want nothing to do with them things. But Thurman They're good. Just taste one. No, I don't want one of them stupid things. You know, I've seen my dad smoke them crazy things. I've seen him spend our money, the money he worked hard for. And I've seen them things. He coughs and hacks and has trouble breathing. I ain't going there. I've saw what it done to my daddy. But see, my daddy, he listened to that voice when he was a young man. Just smoke one of these. And he did. And he got hooked on them things and he smoked those things. And he smoked them until the doctor told him, if you don't stop smoking, it ain't going to be long. You ain't going to be able to breathe. He finally laid down his cigarettes and went smoking a pipe. But that demon had such a hold on my daddy, my daddy could not stop smoking. He smoked that pipe until he died. You talk about having a hold on you? That's crazy. But my daddy had no knowledge as a Christian man. My daddy had no knowledge he had power over that devil. My daddy spent too much time trying to make a living to feed all of us instead of getting in the word at night when he come home. And that's where he missed it. He didn't know. But then the same thing happened one day whenever they come up and said, here, we're out riding around together, opened a beer and handed it to them and said, hey, have one of these. I said, what's that? "That's, That's just a bottle of beer. I said, that stuff smells awful. Well, just taste it. You'll like it. I said, no, ain't smells that bad, I ain't drinking it. In fact, what I told him, I said, you know, the smell of that even smells worse than that old mare horse I used to use when I was plowing. When she would, you know, do what she's going to do, driving along there, and her slaughtered tail hit me in the face with that stuff. I said, you know... I, I ain't tasted, I ain't put nothing in my body tastes that bad. Thank Jesus. <clears throat> so I never did get on alcohol, I never did get smoking, and then of course, whenever they come out with all these drugs and everything, I was far smarter than that. Somebody tried to hand me a drug to get a drug in my body, I knew that was the devil, and there ain't no way I'm going there. Let me tell you, if there's anything I'm grateful for, I know a lot of men a lot younger than me that got their body hooked on drugs and alcohol. In fact, this last week we were in some restaurants and some places and we saw some people that was younger, far younger than me, that looked far older than me. And one of the statements Ty made to me said, Boy, you can see the tracks of the world in that guy. You know what I mean? I had a couple out at the minister center here a while back. They come from New Mexico, and both of them needed to be healed. They were sick and afflicted and beat up on by the devil, and they drove from New Mexico. And these, when I got through with this couple, I had found out this couple had lived everywhere in the world that the devil lives. I mean, there was nothing that the world had to offer they had missed. I mean, drugs, alcohol, sex, violence, you name it, they'd been there. They'd done it. And now both of them is extremely sick and extremely afflicted, and both of them are old and wrinkled. And I finally asked them how old they were, and both of them were in their low 40s. I would have swore both of them were in their 80s. I've seen people in their 80s in better shape than those two were. The tracks of the world showed up on them very clearly. Now then, I didn't go there. I am grateful that God had protected me. Because today, at my age, you know, that, I mean, I don't, I mean, I, 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 mean I, I find it difficult when I look at the calendar and find out that just in a few days I'm going to be 68 years old. I think, Lord, this has got to be a mistake. I'm 38 years old. You know, I'm 38 years old. You agree with that too, brother, right? Praise God. I mean, but Jesus, here's something that Jesus promised you and me by faith. Amen, ma'am. Amen. Long life. And he also said in Psalm 103, he says, forget not all of the Lord's benefits. Now then, if you don't know what the Lord's benefit package is, how are you going to receive by faith what his benefit package is? In fact, I'm going to have a quiz right now. Don't open your Bible. Not yet. In Psalm 103, somebody tell me about what one of the Lord's benefits are in Psalm 103. <laughs> Randy's kicking her, whispering about you tell me one of them. <laughs> uh, but now, wait a minute. Here's a lady over here who says he forgives all of my iniquities and heals how many? Oh. All of my diseases. Did you know that's the Lord's benefit package? Now, wait a minute. If he forgives all of my iniquities or all of my sins and heal all of my diseases, then why, as Christians, do we have so much sickness and disease? You see the order? What did he put first? He does what? He heals all of my diseases and then forgives my iniquities? That's not the way he put it, was it? He forgives all of my iniquities or all of my sins. And then after you confess them and repent of them, then he says, I heal all of your diseases. But you've got to stand by faith to receive that. You've got to stand by faith. And when you stand by faith, he will do what he said. Now, what if you don't get your healing in a day? Does that mean it's not working? Don't give up. No, give up. That's what we do, isn't it? We, we don't fight the battle very long, do we? If we don't get it, and if it's our body that's hurting, think about Job. See, Job had a, he had a test that you and I We don't have to live there because if the devil had come upon one of us because of pride like Job had. I mean, it clearly tells us in the book of Job, starting over about chapter 30, that Job's sin is pride. I mean, it just lays it out there for the next three or four chapters. It talks about it in such great detail. But because of the pride, the devil came to Job and began to attack him. And whenever he put the sores and boils all over him, he lives out in the middle of the desert or out in the middle of the country out there somewhere. Maybe there was trees and maybe there was the uh, springs and everything else. But you, I wonder how far it might have been to the best doctor around where Job lived. You reckon there was a doctor even available? There wasn't no, he couldn't jump in his car and drive down to the next corner and say, Doc, look at me and tell me what's wrong with me, right? No. He couldn't even get on his camel and ride down there because there was no doctor's offices. So who did he have to depend on? God. So as he depended on God, I mean, here the man has lost his empire. He's lost all of his children. But he's been left one blessed thing, a nagging wife. You ladies remember that. You know, if your husband is attacked, don't be a Job's wife. That's not what he needed at that point. He needed somebody that would love him and comfort him. He didn't need a woman telling him, well, just go ahead and curse God and die. You know you've sinned somewhere. See, too many women do that to their husbands. He needs a loving woman right now. He needs somebody to comfort him. He don't need a nagging wife. But she was a nagging wife. But still, he told her, you know, can we take good from God and not take the bad? You know, we have to take everything. So he just had to stand. And after it went on and on and on for who knows how long, I mean, you know, he cried out to God, Lord. Well, finally, the Lord sent Elihu to tell him what his problem was. The young man. And he did tell him. And then, of course, Job repented of everything. And, you know, I mean, just like the word of God says. And I, I, I love this scripture. Let me read this to you for this healing school. This is something that every Christian needs to know. Let me turn over here to Job 33. And I want to show you this scripture. It's so powerful. <coughs> Before you get sick, God warns you many ways. But listen to what the scripture says. This is for you and me in Job 33, 14. But God speaks again and again, though people do not recognize it. God speaks again and again. You wind up at some church and some preacher sitting up here telling you, you need to stop sinning. You need to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You need to confess with your mouth Jesus the Lord and believe in your heart. The Father raised him from the dead. Or you'll say, well, I don't believe that. I don't believe that. In other words, I wonder how many times I heard that since I was in church. Every time the door was open from the time I was born until I was 11. I wonder how many times I heard a Baptist preacher say that. But it took me all them years till finally one day it soaked in from here and went down to here. And I accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Well, it took me about three times that long before I learned that he was the healer. But I didn't hear it in church, but I did hear it as I read God's word. As I read and studied, and then I would read, and he said, I've also given you power over the devil. And he has to be subject to you. Well, I wasn't hearing that in church either. And I thought, you know, this book's got to be wrong. But if this part of the book is right, how come the other part's wrong? Then one day I decided, hey, God wrote the book. He didn't make it difficult. Whatever he said, that's what he meant. He's in control. He's sovereign. If God said it, that means it. And I I had a guy tell me one day, he said, you know, if God said it, I believe it, and that settles it. I said, no, that's not right. He said, what do you mean? I said, if God said it, that settles it. It don't make no difference whether me or you believe it or not. You know, it makes no difference. The king said it, it's forever settled in heaven. Somebody said, I don't believe that in the Bible. Okay, it makes no difference. God ain't trying to prove to you he's God. He knows he's God, and he wrote this law, and if you don't believe it, you can die and go to hell if you want to. Somebody said, he would never send me to hell. That's right, he ain't going to send you, but he's going to let you go there yourself. Because he's told you in his word what he's done, and it's already, I ain't doing nothing else, he says. What I've done in my word is complete I bore your sins. Now, if you accept me as the salvation of your soul, I will save your soul. I will set you free. And if you'll walk with me and do what I say, then you remain faithful to the end, then you will be saved all the way through. But he said, I've also healed you. Just like she said over there a while ago about two of the Lord's benefits. He forgives all of my iniquities and heals all of my diseases. Anybody know another one of the Lord's benefits? He delivers my life from destruction. Amen. He just satisfies my mouth with good things. That's every day, isn't it, brother? Sometimes that's four or five times a day for some of us. Some of us, nobody in here likes to eat more than me and Ty. (laughs) We can eat them groceries, can't we? We love it when God satisfies. I I bet you like them too, don't you, brother? He satisfies our mouth. All of us do. He satisfies our mouth daily with good things. And then, what's another one? Ooh, he renews my youth like the eagles. Now, wait a minute. If you know all of those and you start claiming those every day, what is that body you live in going to do? Is it going to get old and wore out and fall to pieces? It's going to be, he's going to forgive all of your iniquities, heal all of your diseases, deliver you. He's going to crown you with loving kindness, deliver you from the destruction. He's going to satisfy that mouth with good things every day. And he's going to renew by faith that body every day, right? And that body's going to be able to walk strong. I mean, if you you wake up in the morning and say, Lord, I want to thank you that this body is young and healthy and it can do all things today through Christ that strengthens me. I can do all that nothing's impossible with me because I'm a son or a daughter of the king of the universe. Do you know if you start telling yourself that, you know what your body's going to start doing? It's going to start responding to that. You know, if you wake up every day and say, oh, woe is me. What a day this is. Oh, gosh, it was cold outside this morning, and it was cloudy outside. Oh, woe is me. Now, you don't know anybody ever does anything like that, do you? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. (laughs) Uh-huh. Oh, uh, it's Monday morning again. I've got to go to this job that I don't like. You grumble and complain, and God says, I have the... So-. After about six months of that, he says, I've got the problem for you. I'm going to get you fired from that job. <laughs> and so you get fired. You go in and say, I'm sorry, we don't need you no more. What? I've got to have a job. Oh. So you go, God, please, Lord, I got to have a job. Let me go down and get Thurman to pray for me that I'll get another job. Lord, I got to have a job. He says, I gave her one or him one. And all he did was grumble and complain the whole time. So now let's see how he lacks it without one. When you humble yourself and say, Lord, I'm sorry. Lord, I'll do a good job on the next one. If you'll give me it, I promise to never complain again. So. He lets it go along for a month with no job, and you're really sweating it. No money. You're fixing to lose your house. You're fixing to lose your car, everything else. And he says, Now then, did you appreciate that job I gave you before? Yes, Lord, I promise I won't never grumble and complain again. Oh, have you learned your lesson? Yes, Lord. I promise I'll never grumble and complain again. Okay. So if now if you're going to humble yourself before me, I'll give you another job. And you get that next job, let me tell you, you better not grumble and complain over that next job. But if you do, you're going to be out of another one. It's just like that, I saw a sign the other day with one of them great big billboards driving down the road. It said, if you think the traffic jams are long now, just keep complaining, God.
1: <laughs>
0: <clears throat> I thought, wow, whoever put that up there, they read this book. <laughs> They've read this book because God says, I hate grumbling and complaining. I love for you to worship me and praise me and thank me in all things and forget not all of my benefits. If he's a God that forgives all of your sins, so if you sin, which you're not supposed to, but if you do, you come and ask him to forgive you, what will he do? He'll forgive you. And if it has already brought sickness and disease on you, if you'll stand on his word, he'll heal you because he promised it. Most of us, like you said, if we don't get healed in the first day, we, we fall and run to the doctor right quick. We can't stand on the Word of God because we hate for our body to suffer. But let me show you, after talking about all the Lord's benefits, in, Psalms, in Job 33:14, it says, But God speaks again and again. Not just once, does He? He speaks again and again, though people do not recognize it. We don't understand When somebody walks up and says, you know, you're sick. You've been sinning. You need to stop that nonsense. Then you need to have somebody pray for you in faith. And I guarantee you, Jesus will heal you. Well, I don't know if he will or not. Maybe he will. Maybe he won't. Well, there ain't no faith there. Just like this little lady sitting here on the front row. She was down for 10 years in a bed out in the middle of an area with vertigo. Couldn't get up. And she called the ministry center and Sharon prayed for her. And she was instantly healed. Ten years. She was here a while ago early. She came yesterday, so she'd be here on time. And she got here at a taxi, bring her uh, here today. And when I was, got here, she was here taking these chairs. She said, not bad for a woman that had not been, be- been in bed for ten years. And I'm doing pretty good. I said, yes, you are, young lady. I said, you keep confessing that. I'm a daughter of the king. I can do all things through Christ with strength in me. And I said, nothing will be impossible with you. Now, how would you like to be down in the bed for ten years with vertigo and couldn't get out? She lived there for 10 years. She don't want to be there no more. That's why she comes to a healing school. She wants to know what she's got to do to walk in health. Healing is much better than being down in the bed with vertigo, isn't it? Right. right. <laughs> Absolutely. Now then, who knows what kind of grumbling and complaining she might have done that put her there. But some sin put her there. It didn't just happen accidentally. I was in the wrong church. He was in the wrong church. Oh, oh, okay, yeah. Yeah. You were in the wrong church, that's right. You didn't know the real Jesus. Book, yeah, I wasn't saved. Yeah. And I didn't
1: know it, and I was a practitioner. I would help other people drive to their homes, no matter where they live. You know, 50 miles, I'd drive and help them and counsel them and everything. And I thought I was doing God's work, but I wasn't
0: he even wasn't saved. Wasn't even saved. Wow. So when you get saved and find out what Jesus does for you, the real king, he does wonderful things, doesn't he? Praise God, praise God, praise God. Is that good news? Amen. Praise the king. Well, look what the Lord says here. God speaks again and again to us. He's telling you what you need to do. Though people do not recognize it. He speaks after he speaks in all these different ways. Then he says he speaks in dreams. Anybody ever had a dream in here? Everybody has dreams. I'm telling you, I don't care who you are. God warns you. He speaks in dreams. He speaks in visions of the night when deep sleep falls on people as they lie in their bed. He whispers in their ears and terrifies them with warnings. He'll terrify you with a warning. Hey, straighten your act up. You're sinning. Better stop it. People say, well, that's just a bad dream. I rebuked the devil. It might have been the devil, but if it was, I'm going to tell you, God sent him to terrify you because he don't want you to die. He does not want you to die. He wants you to live and he wants you to live a long, healthy life. That's what he wants. Then it says, he causes them to change their minds. In other words, if you listen to him as he speaks to you, he causes them to change their minds. He keeps them from pride. pride kills more people, especially men. It's getting where more women are getting there, too. Then he says he keeps them from the grave. How many young men and women do I know or have I known in my life that got on the wrong track and died at a very early age? I can think of two women. One of them was 16 years old. Her daddy was in my Sunday school class. She was a Christian. She said. And when she was 16, she met this boy, which was a non-believer. He enticed her to move in with him. And he did, and she did. She moved in with her daddy, talk, tried to talk to this 16-year-old girl. She knew everything. How many of us have been there? Every one of us have been through that stupid realm of 16 to 20 when we know everything. And Daddy, Mama don't know nothing. They're an old fogey. But Daddy tried to talk to her. She wouldn't listen. He come to me, said, Thurman, as my Sunday school teacher, would you please go sit down and talk with my daughter? Said, she's moved in with a boy. So I went over there and sat down with him. I first told the young man, I said, young man, what you need is Jesus. No, nah, I don't believe in that religious junk. Well, it don't matter whether you believe in it or not. It's real. Why I don't believe in that stuff. I told a girl, I said, you know, the Lord told you in his word. I said, are you a Christian young lady? Yes, yes, I'm a believer in Jesus. I said, well, okay. Jesus told you you're to have nothing to do with an unbeliever. You're not to be unequally yoked with an unbeliever. I said, this young boy don't believe in Jesus. He don't want nothing to do with Jesus. So I said, the king, which you're responsible to, I said, he says in 1 Corinthians 6, you don't belong to yourself no more. You belong to him. I said, when you drink of that cup of wine and you took Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you became his possession and you're no longer your own. You're his. I said, now, if you defile your temple with sexual immorality, I guarantee the king will defile and destroy your temple. She said, I don't believe that. I said, ma'am, it's written in God's word. She said, Jesus would never kill me. I said, oh, yes, he will. I said, I guarantee he will. He said he will in his word, and he'll do it. She said, I don't believe that. Okay. So I left. And she got pregnant, and had a baby, and got pregnant again, had another baby. And her daddy asked me, Thurman, would you please go again and talk to my daughter? He said, she won't listen to nothing I say. I went again. I'm speaking just like the book says. I'm telling her, I'm telling her she's not listening. I'm telling her exactly what the scripture says. She won't believe it. So she finally gets pregnant, has a third baby, and she's only 21 years old. She's got three children, and she's living with a boy that's not a believer, and they're not married. Now, I'm going to tell you that misses every mark of God's kingdom. At 21 years of age, in perfect health, Her and that brand-new one-month-old baby and her boyfriend went to bed one night. And the next morning, he woke up and the baby woke up and she was stone dead, had a massive heart attack in the night at 21 years of age. I can show you where her grave's at in Justin right now. I know exactly where it's at. Where did she go? I don't know. But I wouldn't have wanted to appear before the kingdom of God in a sexual immorality type life when God said in his word that those that say they're my children that live in immorality, you shall in no wise inherit the kingdom of God. What do you think? She may be in hell today. It cost her her life. I warned her. I told her what the word said over and over. And she didn't believe it. But the word is true. It means what it says. God killed that little girl at 21 because of her sin. He sent me over and over to talk to her. I am sure not only did he send me, but he probably sent others. I know he sent her dad and her mother, but she would not listen to none of them. But the scripture says he speaks again and again, and we don't even recognize he's talking. He's talking. And then he sends dreams and visions to terrify us in our dreams. And we don't believe that either. I just had a bad nightmare last night. I woke up last night. I ain't even going to tell nobody about this dream because I dreamed I died last night. God was trying to warn her, but she wouldn't listen. So she died. And then there was another young woman that got healed of her knee problems. And she had a, a niece, I think it was. She called me one day and said, Thurman. I would. Would you meet me down at Burleson at the hospice house? I said, What's wrong? She said, I got a 23-year-old niece that's in hospice with cancer. 23 years old, in hospice. I mean, at 23, you're supposed to be healthy, but she's got cancer and she's dying. There's a reason. So I told her, Okay, this woman was in her 40s and she had come to me and I would got her sins repented of and the Lord healed both of her knees and she could hardly walk when I met her and the Lord healed her and she was totally on fire for Jesus now totally healed of everything so she knew the God I served was real so she called me and wanted me to meet her down there to get her knees healed I met down there with her walked into the hospital with her met a man standing there and I said who are you? He said I'm her dad And I walked up to her and I said, young lady, are you a Christian? And she said, yes. She could just barely talk. I said, so you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior? Yes. Where do you go to church? I don't go very much. I said, do you have any children? She said, I have two sons. A seven-year-old and a five-year-old. Now she's only 23. I said, So where's your husband? She said, I don't have one. I said, So how long have you been divorced? She said, I've never been married. I said, You're telling me that you're a child of God and you're 23 years old and you've lived with some man or men and you've brought two babies into the world in an adulterous affair and you've never even been married, and you're telling me you're a daughter of the king? I said, honey, that's why you're dying. That's why you're on your deathbed. He's destroying your body. I said, all we can do is cry out to God and ask him to forgive you. I said, you may very well have committed a sin unto death. I said, would you repent? She tried. She asked the Lord to forgive her. I prayed with all the faith I could. But three days later, that little girl went wherever she's spending eternity also. Did she have to die at 23? No. But she was totally disobedient to the word of God. See, the average church member today don't believe that God will do what he said in his word. We don't believe he'll do what he said. I mean, you know, grace is free. God understands. He knows I have sexual desires, and he knows it's okay for me to live with this boy and get pregnant and bring these children into the world. He understands. He'll forgive. No, he don't understand. And yes, if you get to him at the right point, he will forgive you. But just like the woman that had been in adultery when he set her free and forgave her sins, what was his last statement to her? go and sin no more. Now what he said? That's right. You think he meant that? Yes. yes he did. Just like the old gentleman, the old guy, 38 years old, the old guy that had been crippled for 38 years that is set out there, when he asked him if he wanted to be healed, and he said, "Sir, there's no one to take me down into the water when the angel comes." He said, I didn't ask you that. Do you want to be healed? Finally, looked and said, take up your bed and walk. The compassion of our God is beyond your wildest dreams. And so the man stood up when Jesus told him, take up your bed and walk. Now, that man's got to act on that. If he don't act on the word of God, he could have looked up and said, but Lord, I'm crippled. I can't walk. Couldn't he? Sure, he could have. He could have sat right there. He could have stayed sick the rest of his life. But he acted on the master's word. Get up and take up your bed and walk. And when he began to move, the healing came. The demons left and his body was healed. But the king told him, he said, now then, leave your life of sin or something worse is going to come upon you. He's trying to warn us, isn't he? So why is it that so many Christians today are sick? Well, here's your answer. Listen to this. He speaks to us again. He saves us from the grave, from crossing over the river of death. Or, if, in other words, if you don't hear none of these things, if you don't hear him whenever people talk to you, when he talks again and again, you don't hear him in the dreams, you don't hear him in the visions, you don't hear him in the warnings, he says, you will cross over into death. You'll die. Now, I know everybody's just living to die, Right? Not me. I'm living to live. Aren't you, Nancy? I want to live a long, healthy life. A good, abundant life. I love living. Because Christ said, I come to give you life and give it to you abundantly. And I've learned how to step into that abundant life. To walk in health. To walk and to be healthy. And you know know how much fun it is to be able to do anything you want to do? When you get to be 68 years old, you can do anything you could do when you were 30. You know how much fun that is? It's wonderful. You know, I can work and play and climb ladders and build buildings and do anything I want to do. And I have no limitations. And I don't ever get tired. I just keep on going from can till can't. And then I get up and go again. Because I know who I am in Christ. I command my body to be strong. And it is. Then it says, Or, God disciplines people with sickness and pain. Wow. God disciplines people with sickness and pain, with ceaseless aching in their bones. They lose their appetite and do not care even for the most delicious food. Yesterday, one of the men down there where we were in Palestine took us to a restaurant And when we walked in this place, there was rows and rows and rows of delicious food. I'd never seen so much food in my life. And I thought, boy, am I going to send some today? (laughs) I'm going to overeat today. You know, I mean, you can't hardly go to a place like that. When the Lord says, I satisfy your mouth daily with good things. Man, I've been telling you yesterday at noon, he satisfied our mouth with good things. That stuff was great my wife goes up and gets a couple of different kinds of desserts and she eats one of them and she's full and she can't eat the other one so i went up and i i mean i didn't do like she did you know she went up and pigged out and got two different ones Well, i went out and i didn't do much i got four different kinds <laughs> i really pigged out, see. and then what i ate all four of mine she ate half of hers and said I can't eat this she said can you eat it I said I will suffer through this as I eat this and so I ate the rest of hers I mean he satisfies our mouth with good things isn't it wonderful Jesus he does what he promises in his word I don't eat like that every day thank goodness you know but once in a while I do pig out like that but the Lord says if we don't hear him He disciplines us with sickness and pain, with ceaseless aching in our bones, and we lose our appetite. We do not care even for the most delicious food. We waste away to skin and bones, and they are at death's door. The angels of death wait for them. I've seen a lot of people in this kind of condition, haven't you, ma'am? Sure. See, there's always a sin behind it before you get to this point. And usually God has got, he's talked to you and talked to you and talked to, he's sent people, he's done everything, he's given you dreams, visions, everything to try to bring you away from your sin, and you're not willing to listen. And so that's why we wind up sick in the church, because we do not do what the king says. And he puts sickness and disease upon us when we don't hear him. But look what he says he does after that. But, I love it when God puts that but if, I love this, but if a special messenger from heaven is there to intercede for a person. It's a shame there's so few of them that can intercede today. You know that, brother? The church ought to be full of these kind of people. The one that can touch God for you. The one that's walking holy in obedience to his word, so that whenever whenever you come before the throne of grace, he says, oh, that's my little son. That's my little daughter. What can I do for you today, dear? When you're walking holy in obedience to him and you come through the blood of Jesus, he says, come boldly into my throne and tell me what you want to, and I'll hear you. And you say, Lord, I got a friend down there that's got a real problem. Look what he says. But if a special messenger from heaven is there to intercede for this person to declare that he is upright, in other words, that you've got their sins repented of, you've got them all confessed, says God will be gracious and say, set him free. I'm in verse 23 and 24 of Job 33. Job 33. Are you there? Job 33. I am reading out of the NLT, the New Living Translation. It is so clear. But the King James, I've read it in the King James, it says the same thing. It's a little bit more difficult to get it out, but it says the same thing. It says, but if a special messenger of heaven is there to intercede for a person to declare that he is upright, God will be gracious and say, set him free, do not make him die, for he found a ransom for his life. Then his body will become as healthy as a child's, firm and youthful again. When he prays to God, he will be accepted and God will receive him with joy and restore him to good standing. Then he will say in verse 27, he will declare to his friends, I sinned, but it was not worth it. I sinned, but it was not worth it. God rescued me from the grave, and now my life is filled with light. Let me tell you, you don't have to go there. You don't have to be that person. When you start sinning, and somebody comes by and says, Brother, you know, I saw you do something that doesn't line up with the Word of God. You need to stop. What do you need to do immediately? That's right. That man's got it. He said, I need to stop and repent and change from my wicked ways. He said, Lord, I'm sorry right there. He said, oh, okay, now that you walk holy before me, we won't get to this point where you're having this pain and the bones and the sickness and disease. We don't, nobody likes that, do they? We don't want to be one of those that goes to the hospital that we're having to take chemo and all that stuff. That's, again, do you know chemo, if if I were to get in some kind of sin and some kind of cancer was to come upon me, I guarantee I'd die outside without chemo or radiation. You ain't never going to touch my body with chemo or radiation. No way, I remember reading an article about Dr. Day, a woman from California that teaches one of the the uh, uh medical institutes out there. She is one of the highly recommended doctors out there, and she teaches and she came down with cancer and she has written a book and got a video and everything said i'm no longer afraid of cancer because she got healed, but she had she tried everything. Physically, but they would not, she would not let them touch her body with chemo or radiation. She said, I know what that stuff does, and you are not going to put that on my body. She tried everything in the world, vitamins, every, foods, everything, to get healed, and couldn't get healed. She got better, but she couldn't get well. And Then when she came to God, he healed her. Today, that woman is a beautiful woman. On fire for Jesus, has learned the promises of God. And when I saw her on the video, if you'd asked me how old she was, I'd have said, eh, 45 or 50. But she was about 65 when she made the video. She looked like a beautiful young woman. Skin was young and smooth and no wrinkles. But she said, I've learned how to walk in the promises of God. Hey, that benefit package is for me and you, isn't it, brother? Brother. We're going to walk in it, aren't we? Yes, we are. We're going to walk in that benefit package. But you you receive that benefit package from God by faith. By faith. If he said it, you believe it. And you claim it. And when you believe it, it's easy to confess it with your mouth, in your head. I'm healed by the stripes of Jesus, but you're sick and you can't get well. You know what the problem is? It's not made the little trip from here to here. I've had a lot of people tell me that. Thurman, I confessed I was healed and I was sick for another year. But when I finally got in the word, I really started believing God's promises. As I spent the time in the word, one day it finally became a revelation. He really said that and it was for me. That's when it went from here to here. That's when they got healed. It's just like Dave Rosenfeld says. He said, I now know why it took me almost two years to get totally healed. Because I didn't have a close enough walk with God. He said, the closer I got to the king, the quicker my healing began to take place. And at a year, he was awful. I mean, he was awful. And I told Dave, I said, Dave, you need to get the scriptures. You need to start quoting them. You need to spend more time with God. You need to worship him. You need to call him in remembrance of his promises. You need to quote them to him. Say, Father, you made me the promises right here. And then, Father, in the name of Jesus, you said I have power with the devil. So, devil, since I've repented of every sin, devil, according to these scriptures, you've got to get out of my life in the name of Jesus. I said, and you do both of them boldly and with power and authority from it is written. And it took him almost another year. But he did that. And today, from an incurable lifelong disease, he's totally healed. Totally. Changed his life forever. Changed his life forever. For a man that couldn't have any children, the doctors clearly told him if you have any children, it'll be in, it's in your DNA and it'll be passed on to your children. I said, it's not in your DNA. It's a curse. I said, it's a curse that's been passed down from the breaking of the law of your family and it's a demon. What it is, it's not in your DNA. It's a devil from hell that's in your flesh and in your body. And when we break these curses and you get set free, we cast these demons out. They ain't going to be passed to your children. And you can have all the children you want to, and they'll be healthy. And so after he got healed, he believed. And today, of course, him and Yeshua have that beautiful little son. And then in next month, they're going to have another beautiful one. I don't know if it's going to be a boy or a girl, but she seems to think it's going to be a little girl this time. But they got one beautiful little son, and he is the best behaved little critter I've ever seen in my life. Did you tie? Right. He is. I mean, but Dave has taken it literally. The rod of correction drives the devil far from your children. I mean, whenever he would, little bitty guy, sitting there and he'd put something on his plate. He'd eat a little bit and he'd throw it on the floor. Dave would say, Son. You don't throw your food in the floor. You keep it up here and you eat it. You don't throw it in the floor. Well, he'd pick it up. eat it, throw it in the floor. They'd pick it up and take that little switch and swat him on the back of the hand and said, I said, you don't throw it on the floor. Then next time he'd get it, he'd start to throw it in the floor and he'd look at daddy. <laughs> and he wouldn't throw it on the floor. I mean, just like the other night, we were sitting there in a restaurant and Dave had a drink and uh, his glass And he set it down right there in front of him. I thought, Dave, move your glass over here, you know, because the kid will reach up and pull it off. He said, no, Thurman. He said, I'm testing him. I said, what do you mean? He said, just like God does you and me. I'm testing him. I said, you're tempting him. He said, no, I'm not. I'm not tempting him. God don't tempt us, but he tests us. He said, I put it right here. And I said, son, don't you touch my glass. So he looked at it several times, and one time he reached up for it, and as he did, Dad reached out and got that switch, and so he never did even quite get to He pulled that hand back because he knew what was going to happen if he touched that glass, and he never touched it again, never even reached out for it. Dave let that glass sit right there. Now then, whenever they tell him he can't come in my office, he come running up to my office door and stop, and he will not come past the threshold. Door's open. He will not come in there. Dave told him, son, you don't go in Thurman's office. You stay out here in the hallway. Or whenever it's time for him to stay in the kitchen, they say you can go to the door in the kitchen, but you can't go beyond that. He'll run right up to that doorway, and he'll look both ways, and he'll turn around and come back. <laughs> because the first time he would just walk right on through, the switch was right behind him. Whap, whap. I told you to stay in here. Oh. And so Dave has trained that little guy. My wife can't stand it. Cheryl, she can't stand it. Every time he disobeys, Cheryl turns her head. She <laughs> she can't stand to see him swatted. But see, the Lord said in His Word, the switch of correction, the rod of correction, will drive the evil far from your children. That's where we've missed it today, as as men and women of God. We have not trained our children up like that. We, I did, I raised mine like that. I wasn't quite as strict as Dave is. But I should have been. I've seen the results. I mean, I knew the Roder correction would do it, and I did use it. Not quite as much as he did, but I did, the Lord, I should say, raise two pretty good kids. I'm proud of my son, although my daughter died at 24, 23, 24 years old, but still she was a good girl. But I think about how good these little children are. And I think that as I see Dave doing I think, you know, after what I see him doing, I see God doing exactly the same thing with you and me. He's testing us. He's not tempting us with evil. The scripture says God tempts no man with evil, but he tests us. He tests us to find out what we're going to do. So these demonic spirits that have been sent to you and me to put thoughts in our minds, oh, son, You need to get off down here on some kind of sin. Just steal a little money from the company you work for. You know, they won't mind. Those thoughts can come to your mind. You know that? And when that happens, you know that's not from God, right? Because God told you to be honest and truthful, a man of integrity. You've got to capture that thought and say, no, devil, no. I resist you in the name of Jesus. Get out. And the devil said, whoa, okay. Okay, we're going. We're going. We'll come back in a little while, though. We're going to go off over here a little while. Just like the devil, whenever Jesus was tested in the wilderness, the devil came in and tested him over and over and over. And Jesus resisted him with the word. And then it finally says, okay, the devil left him until a more opportune time, which means he was going to come back, right? So if the beast is going to come back to Jesus, you think he's going to come back to you and me? Absolutely. That's why I'm saying this battle is never going to cease on this earth as long as you live on this earth. You're going to have to fight this battle as long as you live. If you fight the battle and remain faithful to the Word of God and walk in the love walk, then you won't never have to be sick and afflicted. And here's where you got to walk to walk there. Turn in your scripture to first Corinthians thirteen. This is where you've got to walk. This is where you have to begin. After you learn the power and authority you have as a daughter or a son of God, when you get to the point where you know that you're a child of the king and that you know all spiritual blessings belong to you, everything in here, healing and deliverance is yours, all power on earth is given to him, and he delegates that power and authority to you and me as his children. After he tells us, behold, I give unto you power to tread on the devil and his demons. All power is given to you over them. They shall in no wise hurt you. Nevertheless, rejoice not that the spirits have to be subject to you, but rather rejoice because your name is written in heaven. We love it when we see that work, don't we? But here's where you have to start to make that work for you. You've got to learn to walk in 1 Corinthians 13, verses 4 through 8. Look what it says. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 13 says, And now abideth faith, hope, and love. These three, but the greatest of these is love. The greatest. Now, this word love, or some translations use the word charity. The King James uses charity. This word, when you translate it from the Greek, is the Greek word agape. That is the God kind of love. Somebody said, man, I just love my car. The next person says, man, I just love that food at that restaurant last yesterday. It was good. Another says, I love my wife. Well, all those are different kinds of love. You know, those are different kinds of love. That's right. But the God kind of love is the love we're supposed to have for him and for one another. One another. It says in 1 John 4, 8, God is love. This is the kind of love he is. So why is God's love greater than hope or faith? You ever stop to think about that? Why? Because your faith won't work without love. Now, you can have the other two. You can have that hope and faith, but your faith won't work without love because Galatians chapter 5 verse 6 says that faith works through love. Faith works by love. So you can have faith to a degree, but you can't have great faith until you step into great love. When you step into the God kind of love, then your faith will work and you can have great love and great faith. I've seen a lot of people say, Sermon, I want to be where you are. Well, I want you to be way beyond where I am. I don't want you to be where I am. Because I realize that this step that I've stepped up is a baby step. I mean, I've stepped up on a little bitty step from zero zero. I've stepped up on a step that's only about three inches tall. You know, I'd like to step on one that's about two foot tall Ooh, and step up there. I'd really like to be up there. Wouldn't you? That's where, And that's available. But I'm not there yet. But I want to be there. And then after I get up on that, and I want to take another one, a really big one, because I want to become just like Jesus. I realize I'm not there yet, but at least I know i got a goal to shoot for. And I know if I can walk in that God kind of love and walk like him, then truly he will whisper in my ear one day when I get there and say, behold, I give unto you power. In other words, that God kind of love is working in you. Now you ask me for anything and I'll do it. Wow, would that be a good place to be with a king? That's where I want to be. I'll step just high enough upon it to see him do so many wonderful things that I, I know a little bit. Like Randy. When Randy repented of his sins and that demon of epilepsy and we cast that beast out of him over a year ago, year and a half ago, whatever it was. I'm telling you, when that boy got set free, he was blessed and he's been blessed ever since. And I've been blessed because I got to cast that devil of hell out of him in the name of Jesus. Changed his life and mine, too, forever. Ain't neither one of us ever going to be the same. See, now. Now. If you're not walking in the God kind of love, God's not going to allow you to cast a demon out of him. You know that? He just ain't going to do it. Now, well, he might if I command the devil to come out of you. And if I'm not walking in love, guess where the devil's going to go? Oh, okay, I'll leave, Randy. I'll just take a residency over here. I don't want that beast, do you? No. And we have learned that these demons will transfer... And you've got to be walking in love, and these devils will come. And when we cast them out, they'll to enter someone else. You know, we've seen it over and over and over. So you want to walk in a God kind of love so they cannot come into you. And if you're walking in a God kind of love in the total faith, then they cannot come into you. I've seen them transfer from one person to another. I've seen it several times in my life. Somebody would be with me. That goes with me. And that's another reason I don't take a lot of people with me because I don't see a lot of people walking in faith. A lot of people want to go with me. But when I've learned what I've learned now, I've learned the demons I cast out can go into those people. If they're not walking in faith and they can come home with a load of demons that they didn't want. But you can get them all over the place out there anyway. So you've got to be careful. Your faith is dependent on love to work. That's why it's greater. 1 John 4, 8 says, He that loveth not knoweth not God. If you don't love, the scripture says you don't know who God is. So if you're not walking in a God kind of love, it's a pretty good indication. You don't know the king. It says, for God is love. Second, your faith will not work without hope. You have to hope for something before your faith can give substance to it. You have to hope for something. So that once you're hoping for healing or deliverance or whatever, then your faith can give substance to it. So faith is also dependent on hope. Now then, we'll read Hebrews 11.1 to confirm that. Hebrews 11.1 says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for the evidence of things not seen. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. You see, if you don't have hope for something, your faith can't work because it has no goal or object to believe for. Then because it has no goal or object to believe God for, therefore faith can't work without hope. You've got to have hope. Also, faith is dependent on love in order to work. That's why the Bible says that love is the greater of the three. Now then, let's, we'll get back to First Corinthians 13. This time we'll go to verse 1. This is where we've got to learn to walk, if we want to walk, free of sickness and disease. And if you want to have power to heal the sick. And to do all these things to save the lost, this is where you've got to learn to walk. And if you'll walk here, you can get healed. God will heal you if you'll walk in this. This is the requirement. Verse one, out of 1 Corinthians 13, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not love, I am become as a sounding brass as a tinkling cymbal. Now then what are you going to do if you go to a church where they don't believe that tongues is one of the gifts of the Spirit? And if somebody does talk in tongues and you start talking evil about them, you are not walking in love. You're not walking in love. You say, well, I don't believe in tongues. Well, then don't talk about somebody that does. You know, If you don't know that gift and don't believe that gift and your knowledge is not there, don't make fun of the people that speak in tongues. If you can't speak in tongues, then no big deal. Just don't talk evil about somebody that does. But Paul says, though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels. So we see multitudes of kinds of tongues here. We don't even know how many different tongues or dialects there are on the earth right now today that people speak in. There are probably several hundred different dialects or languages. And who knows? I mean, some of the different countries I've been in had a hundred different dialects, and they all spoke the same language, but one from the north couldn't talk to one in the south. You know, at least here, you know. I go to New York, and I start talking to somebody, and a guy looks over and said, I believe I detect a little of Boston in him, don't you? He's just making fun of me. I'm as far from a Bostonite as you could be. They know I'm a Texan because they know where I come from. They know the dialect I speak with. That's why I said, I detect a little Boston in him, don't you? No, there ain't no Boston in me. It's South Texas in me. Everybody knows that. And I don't have a problem with my Texas dialect. If you don't like it, don't talk to me. You know, I don't care. You know, I don't have a problem with that. But if you don't talk in Texan, I'm still going to love you. You know, you know, if you don't want to talk to me, then okay. You know, I won't talk to you, but I still love you just because you can't talk Texan. But Paul says, if I talk in all these tongues and angels and everything else, and if I don't have love, if I don't have love, I am come as a sounding brass and a tinkling cymbal. In other words, it's nothing. You're nothing. That's what he's trying to say. Then he says, and though I have the gift of prophecy. Now, there's a few men and women today that have this gift, not many. Now, I'm going to tell you a fact. I've been in a church a long time. Somebody walks up to you and he says, he or she says, I'm a prophet. And I'm going to prophesy over you. Whatever they say, just take it with a grain of salt and walk on. Don't start building your life around what they told you. Because there's very few real prophets in the church today. They're very, very rare. I've seen people that would say all kinds of things. But I don't believe nothing a prophet tells me until it comes to pass. You know, because I know so few of them. They are not really prophets of God. But they are some. But they're very rare. But though I have the gift of prophecy, and there is some that have that, and understand all mysteries, which I don't know anybody understands all mysteries, and all knowledge, and again, I don't know anybody that has all knowledge. But Paul said, if I have all this, and though I have all faith, and I don't know anybody that has this, so that I can remove mountains, and if I don't have love, I am nothing. I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, so I'm worth $100 million, and I give it all this year to feed the poor kids, or just like Cheryl right now. She is, just think, Cheryl, in the love in her heart, she has, the last few weeks, has poured out night and day, to be about God's business, and it's the love within her heart that's trying to move on other people's hearts to get people to give so that they can give gifts and money and everything else so she can bless about 100, 110, or 20 people this year for Christmas. She's got the biggest Christmas list I've ever seen in my life. I mean, when she took on them 50 kids, I thought that was a pretty awesome list. And she did that for four years. And this year, Christ Haven has never, they said, we have never seen an organization. Nobody has ever done what y'all have done for these kids. Nobody. So this year, they give her 40 more kids and 20 mothers to go with the 50. She got over 100 to buy gifts for. So she has been out shopping, buying gifts. Get talking to people about giving money to help. And a while ago, whenever I went to the mailbox, she said, "I get any mail today?" I said, "Well, I don't know. It's all made out to the Living Savior Ministries." So she starts looking down through there, starts tearing stuff open. And she comes another another woman. She looks here. She said. Oh, it says here TLSM, but on the bottom it says Christ Haven. She looked, she said, Another five hundred dollars, that's exactly what I need for today. Praise God. She's jumping up and down and screaming. <laughs> right there in my office, just me and her and God. She has just had a ball. In fact, we went to Branson, Missouri, Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday this week. Several of us on the team went up here to take a few days vacation. And Cheryl and the girls, as three of the girls these girls started finding these these malls up there, had these special deals at the end of Christmas. And then they found they could get these uh, little coupons where you could get a discount. And then when Cheryl started buying this stuff, they said, what are you buying so much stuff for? She said, I'm buying it for these orphan kids. And so they gave her another 10 or 15 or 20% discount. So she, lit I told her, we burned about 500 pounds of fuel on the airplane going up there, and she just packed a station wagon full of gifts. And when we got back out to the minister I mean, not the minister's there, but the little house we were living in that was staying up there, I told her, I told the guys, I said, guys, let's go out and put all this in the airplane, because there ain't no way with our luggage and us we're going to get in that airplane. So we took a van load out there, and thank goodness it's a big airplane. We packed the whole back of that thing full of all these gifts. We put them in the cells. We put them under the seats. We put them everywhere in that airplane. And then we went back out there and took all of our baggage and put it all in there. And I told all the guys, I said, okay, all you heavy guys sit toward the front, at least till I get airborne so this thing don't drag its tail. (laughs) And we took off, of course, we were 500 pounds down on fuel because they took about 500 pounds of fuel to fly up there. And then we came back, and, of course, we brought all that stuff back, and we had to have a station wagon to haul all that stuff back. And today, Cheryl is at home with all those people that are out there. While ago I, I called her just before the healing school, and she said, the ministry center is full of people, and we're wrapping gifts. Now then, they're, they have wrapped and filled our little, our little house where we live. The whole living room is completely packed with wrapped gifts for all these people. Well, next Saturday, they're going to have this thing. I believe it's next Saturday. I think it is. Next Saturday is out at uh, Christie's re- her daughter's restaurant. They're going to have this Christmas party and give all these gifts to all these kids, or Saturday or Sunday, whenever it is. Saturday. When? Saturday, it is Saturday. Okay, next Saturday. And Christ haven cannot fathom what Cheryl has done. Well, why has she done this? Because the love of God is in her heart. For all these kids. See, now she's building her treasures in heaven. She asked me this morning, said, honey, I I mean, it may look bad, but can I skip the healing school today? I said, oh, I know what you got to do today. I said, of course. I said, you're going to be about our master's work all day today. I know what you're going to be doing. I said, so sure. She said, well, I've sure got a lot of people supposed to come help me wrap gifts and I need to be here with them. I said, of course you do. So you stay here. Now, that was the love of God in her heart for all these kids. You know, she doesn't have to do that for them kids. You know that? Somebody said, I ain't going to stay up night and day. I mean, I, this nights that Cheryl didn't come to bed to 4 or 5 o'clock in the morning. And they're getting these lists up to date, ordering stuff on the Internet and all kinds of stuff and getting stuff ready for these kids and keeping records of who give what and where it come from and where she spent it. She knows every nickel, where it goes and everything. She keeps beautiful records. This is her fifth year. The first year, she started out with about 16,000, then 18,000. I think it was 21,000, and last year was 35,000, and this year her goal was going to be 50. So I don't know what she's going to get, but I know that she's already way up there, I'll say that. Why do you think God gives all that to her? Because he knows her heart. He knows she has this kind of love, his love in her heart for all them kids. Now, she don't just have one or two to buy Christmas for this year. She's got 90 kids and 20 abandoned mothers. Wow. How would you like to be an abandoned mother? A mother that was beat up on by some man that had a demon in him. I am not a violent man, and there's only one thing I might hit a man for, and that's if he, I caught him beating up on a woman, <laughs> then I might have to try to restrain him. Somehow, I don't know, but it would be tough. I hope I never have to encounter that. Never hit a man or a woman, either one, with my hand, never. I don't think God fixed these to hit a human being with. He told us to love one another, not to hit so, when you've got the love of God in your heart, you never have that thought to harm another human being. You want to do good for people. You know, you want to do good. Now, then, <clears throat> these verses that we've said, saw here in this, though Paul does all these things, if he has not love, it profits him nothing. In other words, if you do all of these things, you feed the poor, you do all this stuff, and you don't do it because you have the God kind of love in your heart, do you know? that you will get no rewards in heaven. When you get home, there won't be no rewards. And if you don't walk in God kind of love, it's virtually impossible to stay in divine health. When you step out of love, when you step out of love, just to step out in a little bit of grumbling and complaining, it will make you sick. And it don't take long. And the more knowledge you have of the Word of God the less tolerance God has with you. The less tolerance. In other words, if, if you know that you're not supposed to do something, in fact, I don't remember where the reference is. I remember the scripture, but I don't remember the reference. Some of you may know where I'm talking about when I make this statement. Jesus said, if you don't know to do something and you do it, then you will be beaten with few stripes. But he said, if you know it's wrong and do it anyway, I will beat you with many stripes. Now, I don't know where that's at, but that's in the Word. How many of you have ever read that scripture before? Okay, you know it's in there, don't you? I do not know where that's at right now. It's been a long time since I've read that. But if the Lord himself says, if you know that it's wrong and you do it anyway, I'm going to beat you with many stripes. Who do you think he's going to use to beat you? The devil. Sure he is. He's going to send the devil he, could, he, could, he loves it. If the, if the devil is, is given a legal right, if the, the Lord says, go over and put about 40 stripes on Thurman's back, the devil says, gladly. I love it. Go over and put about 20 on Randy while you're at it. He's been sent in too. He says, gladly, let me get him. We don't want that, do we, Randy? No. We've already been there and seen it. We've already had them stripes. You had yours, I've had mine in different ways. How many years did you have those epileptic seizures? Since 1983 till just a little less than a year ago, or a little over a year ago. Yeah, August a year ago. Wow. 83, that's 21 or 22 years he had those seizures. That wasn't no fun, was it, Randy? No. No. He didn't want to go back there. He wants to walk in a God kind of love. And if he'll walk in a God kind of love and be obedient, he won't never have to go back there either. He can walk in divine health the rest of his life. God has forgiven him and washed away his sin and healed his diseases. And you want to stay there, don't you? All diseases. Do what? All. all. The kidneys, the all. Everything. The oh, he healed everything. everything. When he said, I heal all of your diseases, he healed your depression, your, your kidney problems, everything you have. Twenty-six pills a day, and you lost all of that, and you ain't had a pill since <clears throat> over a year. Woo! Is Jesus good, folks, or is he good? When the king says, forget not all of my benefits, I forgive all of your sins, and then I heal all of your diseases. He done that for Randy, didn't he, Randy? Wow, a young man that went from sinning to no sin... And stepping over into the world of faith, no medicine, 26 pills a day, and hadn't had a pill in over a year, and now walking in total divine health, and everything that was failing in your body is working perfect. Isn't Jesus wonderful? He's wonderful. We can praise him for that, can't we? Wow. We can praise the king. And then some people say, well, you know, Jesus don't heal anymore. Let me tell you, they've been deceived. He is the healer. Somebody said, well, God will never make me sick. Oh, yes, he will. All you've got to do is start sinning. And he'll talk to you and he'll tell you. He'll get that little switch out and he'll tap you lightly on the hand. He'll send somebody by to talk to you. And if you don't hear that little switch on the hand, he'll send a dream or a vision. He'll terrify you with a dream. He'll try to drag you away. And if you just keep right on going the wrong way anyway, he says, okay, you're not hearing me. So I'm going to send a demon upon you that's going to put sickness and disease upon your body and your body's going to waste away and you'll be drawn down to the grave and you'll be down to the point where you'll be in such pain in your body, even in your bones, that you won't even want nothing to eat. You'll be hurting so bad. I don't want to go there. Do you? No. I don't want to go there. But to not go there, you've got to learn to walk here in 1 Corinthians 13. In the God kind of love. <clears throat> the Lord also says in John 13:35, he said, By this love shall all men know that you are my disciples, for you have love one to another. That's the way you can tell who really is God's children. Now, if God's love is so important, then we need to know what it is and how to love. This God kind of love never fails, he says. We find it defined in the next few verses of 1 Corinthians 13. This is where you need to walk. If you want to walk in divine health and you want to be able to have power to do things for God, this is where you got to walk. The God kind of love, or love, it suffers long and is kind. It does not envy in fact, let me read this out of the this Bible here. this one, the nLt is 1 corinthians thirteen I really like this in first corinthians thirteen in the NLt i used to I put this up on my office door whenever I was out at work. Uh, they said i couldn't put things couldn't put scriptures where everybody could read them, so i, I copied these and typed them up and I just, I wrote them down like this says this in uh, First Corinthians 13 and I didn't put any scripture reference or anything, I just put this. I said, love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. Love does not demand its own way. Love is not irritable. And it keeps no record of when it has been wronged. Love is never glad about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up. Love never loses faith. Love is always hopeful. And love endures through every circumstance. Love will last forever. I just typed that out and put that in great big font about that big on the window of my office. Put it to the outside office. No scripture reference. No nothing. Just love. I said the definition of love. Everybody come by my office. The definition of love. They stop and they read that. Lots of people say, boy, I ain't never seen nothing like that. You're a genius to come up with something like that. (laughs) I got it from the genius. Not a single word of that in my old stuff. Not one single word. Every bit of that comes right out of God's word. But people said, "Man, that is great. That's the best definition of love I ever heard. You're a genius." I thought, "Wow." I, I didn't tell them I got it out of the Bible because I'm afraid they'd start telling people. But people would not read it. But you know, when people read that, what will the Holy Spirit do with that? Since that's His word, He convict you. Wow. Wow. You know, if if I could do that, if I could walk right there where he's talking about, it would change my life forever. Now then, who's putting that nice thought in your mind right there? The Holy Spirit. If you would just do what that says, it'll change your life forever. You hear that little voice. That's God talking to you. He, He can take his word like that and he can do great and mighty things with it just think of that read listen to this one more time love is patient and kind would you like to live with people like that amen he crowns us with loving kindness love is patient and kind love is not jealous or boastful or proud Love is not rude. Love does not demand its own way. Love is not irritable. Love keeps no records of wrongs. I tell you, you done something the other day to offend me. I'll forgive you this time, but don't you ever do it again, Ty. Isn't that something? That's a real kind of love, isn't it? (laughs) Love keeps no records of wrong. If he wrongs me every day, what am I supposed to do? What if I offend him every day? What's he supposed to do? Forgive me and keep no records of wrongs. It's hard to do, isn't it? (laughs) Don't you lie to me. (laughs) It's hard to do that. It's, I mean, the devil will put that thought in your mind. I mean, you know, he'll come and say, you know, what? She did the same thing again today. She did three years ago. I can't believe you're not letting her, I mean, you're letting her get by with that. Don't those thoughts come to your mind when your wife does something like that? They don't even come to your mind? No. Whoa, this guy's got it. I need to know what he's learned. <laughs> it's amazing. He's mastered something there. I mean, have you ever had the thought, let me ask this precious daughter, the king right here. When somebody does you wrong, if they did you wrong, same thing three years ago, does the thought come back that they did it three years ago to you? Sometimes. Oh, now here's a woman. I, I, I had this happen to me too. Sometimes that thought will come right back and say, you know, he did that to you three years ago. Yeah, You forgave him then. But it's, don't you think it's time you get him now? <laughs> <laughs> those thoughts come to your mind too? Uh, yes, I have to. I have to battle this kind of stuff. Anybody else in here besides me and her have to have battle those kind of? Oh, 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 okay, this, uh, something we're me and her is not the holy too, are we? It, the devil knows our weakness, doesn't he? He, that beast knows our weakness. He checks us out. He looks us up and talks about him. He says, "Okay, here's number one where I can get her. Here's number two where I can get her." Yeah, and he's got a list. <laughs> he knows where we're weak. You know, I mean, there's some things the devil couldn't even tempt me with. You know, I mean, at this point, at least in my life, when it comes to smoking, drinking, words of profanity, drugs and alcohol, you know, he knows I'm, I'm strong as a bullocks in those areas. But to get me working on something... You know, working on a tractor, designing a building, building a new building, and working from can to can't, so I don't have time to get in the word. He knows I'm a pushover right there. He knows God gave me an engineering mind, and he knows I love to do those kind of things. He knows that. So he'll put me to the test in those areas. And there's times when I say, okay, Lord, I'm going to work on this building up to right here. I'm quitting right there. And I'm going to go in. I'm going to get the word down. And I'm going to start reading and studying with you. And the devil said, but, you know, you can just work another 30 minutes and you could get this done. You could have time tomorrow. Y'all know where I'm coming from? Just like Ty, he loves to work with cattle, you know. And so the devil would get him. He'd say, well, you know, but, you know, if you just stay out here with these cows and you do this, then you won't have it may only take you another hour, but then you get all the feeding done and everything, and you'll still have time to do this tomorrow. And then when he gets to the house, he's wore out. And then Adele devil we well, just take a shower and go to bed. You know, you're tired. You know you can do that tomorrow. He knows his weaknesses. He knows mine. He knows yours. And he will put us to the test. Now, if you've been a guy that was hung up on alcohol at one time or drugs, and he'll say, oh, you remember some of them trips you used to make? Ooh, just try that one more time. And he'll send one of his little critters by to, oh, Randy, just try this one more time. You forgot how good this was. You've got to say, no, no. See, that's the devil. And he's out there putting me and you to the test every day. And when that beast comes up, like when he comes up to me and says, you know, you just need to do this or build this building or fix this or overhaul this tractor or fix this or whatever... I'm going to work up to a certain time and say, okay, Lord, now consider this trial and test pure joy. Now then it's come to the time and I'm cutting this off. I'm going to the house and get the word out and we're going to do some studying together. They'll say, but, you know, if you just stay and work. I said, nope. Lord, thank you for that test, but I ain't going to listen to it. Thank you. I consider it pure joy. I'm going to the house. I'm going to get the word down and me and you are going to spend some time in the word together. Now I'm looking for great revelation as I study your word. And you go and sit down with him. And he said, oh, you passed your test, son, so I'm going to really give you some morsels as you study tonight. Let me take you over to this place in the Word. And, of course, as I began to do that years and years ago, he would say, look at this right here. Behold, I've given you power to tread on the devil. And the devil said, you know, wouldn't that be nice if those things still work today? That worked for the apostles, but it don't work for you today. He got me for a long time. And one day the Lord says, you know, that wasn't for the apostles. That's for you. I said, Lord, I have power over the devil. Yes. Lord, I got a demon living in me. Yes. And in my name, you have power over him. Cast him out. As a Southern Baptist deacon, I'm casting out a demon out of my body that I can't see, that's caused an infirmity in my body for 30 plus years. And by faith, I'm speaking to this devil, commanding him to come out and expecting him to leave. And by faith, he did come out. And the next morning, a problem I'd had in my my flesh and infirmity for 30 plus years was gone. And I've never had it since. But I carried it for 30 something years. And it was a demon. And the doctor told me it was a fungus. Isn't that amazing? But it was a demon. God told me it was a demon. I cast it out and I got healed. See, that's back in the days before I knew that virtually everything is caused by demonic spirits. Like Ty says, the demon comes by and starts up the problem, makes you sick, and then he goes on. So sometimes you don't have to cast the demon out. He's already gone. But he's caused the problem. He's messed with your body. And he's already been there and stirred up a big problem and caused all kinds of things to mess up in your body. And then he goes to somebody else's house and messes them up. But, you know, we never know unless God tells us. So we always cast out them demons. And then we lay hands on the people for healing. Because once we cast a demon out, if he's there, we've learned, too, to command the devil and command him not to come back in Jesus' name. I did not realize, but it's already 3.10. I guess I better give you all a 15-minute break. I'll tell you, before you go on break, back there at the back, all the media, you can have anything you want. It's your sack. Everything's free. If you need to go to the bathroom, we've got two bathrooms here. <clears throat> they say men and women on them. But if there's one of them not being used, you know, just go in it. You know, praise the Lord. It don't make no difference. They've got locks on them, so you can use them. We'll take about a 15-minute break. If you want to give a donation to our ministry, the box is over here. If you don't, that's okay, too. It's totally up to you. But anyway, take about a 15-minute break and come back and we'll start over. I know you need a break. Okay, praise the Lord. Are we ready to go again? All right. Everybody's had a little bit of break and had a glass of water or whatever you need and everything and had a time to get up and walk around a minute and get refreshed. And we're ready to start again. Praise the King. Now then, I had two lovely people come up and tell me where my answer was to my question a while ago. And so now I'm going to read this to you and see, let you see what it says here. And I'm going to read a little more than just the two scriptures that they quoted me. I'm going to start in Luke 12:42. Now I want you to see what the Lord says here. Uh, because in just the, the two verses that we, that they told me where this was at, I went back and read this while I was sitting here. And actually we need to start in verse 42 to get the answer. But in Luke 12:42, and it says, and the Lord replied, I'm talking to any faithful, sensible servant to whom the master gives the responsibility of managing his household and feeding his family. So who's he talking to? You, that's right. It should be you. He said, and the Lord replied, I am talking to any faithful, sensible servant To whom the master, Jesus, gives the responsibility of managing his household and feeding his family. So he's talking to us. If the master returns, now that's Jesus. If the master returns and finds that servant, that the servant has done a good job, there will be a reward. Now that's good news, isn't it? I want him to come back to give me a reward, don't you? Yes, I don't want I don't want the the rest of it, but I want the reward. Well, everybody wants the reward, but uh you have to do something for the reward. I assure you in verse 44, I assure you the master will put that servant in charge of all he owns. Wow, that's good news too, huh? I will put you in charge of all that I own. My master, but if that servant begins to think My master won't be back for a long time. And he begins oppressing the other servants, partying and getting drunk. Now, do you know Christians that have done those kind of things? Yes, you're shaking your head like, I've seen a few of those too. I've even seen a few pastors that have done that. What a shame. But he says, well, the master... Will return unannounced and unexpected, he will tear the servant apart. That doesn't sound too good, does it? How would you like for Jesus to get a hold of you to tear you apart? Ooh, this is scary, isn't it? He will tear the servant apart and banish him with the unfaithful. Ooh. That don't sound good either. The servant will be severely punished, for though he knew his duty, he refused to do it. I think that's in the King James where it says, you will be beaten with many stripes. But people who are not aware that they are doing wrong will be punished only lightly or with few stripes. Much is required from those to whom much is given. And much more is required from those to whom much more is given. He requires a lot from all of us, his children. Let him find you being faithful when he returns. See, we read this book, but we don't believe this book. We don't think this book's talking to me and you. But this book's talking to you and me. That's why we have so much sickness and disease in the church. It's because God is sending these demons to torment us. Do you believe God's in control of the universe? Do you believe the scripture says in Matthew 28, all power in heaven and earth has been given to me? Do you believe that? Do you believe God is in control? Do you believe he knows what's going on in everybody's life? Absolutely. He's God. Do you believe he said that if you will make me, number one, if you will put me first, I will protect you from the snare of the devil and I will not allow any sickness and disease to come to your flesh. Do you believe that? Do you really believe that? Or if you believe that, then we as Christians shouldn't be sick, should we? So why are we sick? Because we don't put him first. Let me ask you a question. How long have you two been married? Five years? You've been married five years. Okay, if you were to just spend one night with one of your old girlfriends after five years, you think she'd be happy with you? I know it ain't going to happen, but do you think she'd be happy with you? I know, but what I, what I'm just trying to say that if you did. What, here's, here's what I'm trying to get across. We as Christians, we can see this in the flesh. I mean, so a man and woman's been married. In fact, I, I asked a man and woman this up in Sherman the other night when I was teaching up there. I said, how long have you two been married? She said, 25 years. I said, your husband come home with you every night? She asked me the question. She said, what does it mean to put God first? She asked me the question. And then I come back and I said, How long, is that your husband? She said, Yes. How long have you been married? She said, 25 years. I said, Does Your husband come home to you every night? She said, Every night. I said, For 25 years, he's come home to you every night. She said, Yes. I said, Okay. I said, So after 25 years, he decides he only wants to spend one night with one of his old girlfriends. She looked at me and I said, What are you going to do? She said, He's going to need a doctor. <laughs> I said, you mean you're not willing to share him with another woman, not even one night out of 25 years? She said, absolutely not. I said, you know, woman, you've got to close one-track mind. You know that? She said, yes, I know that. And she, I said, why? She said, well, I'm jealous of him. I love him. I said, oh, seemed to me like I read the word. God says I'm a jealous God, and I ain't going to share you with nobody either. So I said, when you and me go and put other things before him, we're committing spiritual adultery. And when we put other things before him, since he's a spirit and we're committing a spiritual adultery, we're prostituting ourselves with the world. And so when God, although he's very merciful and kind and his love endures forever, I said, I'll tell you, there will come a time when God will get fed up with your adultery and he'll send a demon and I said, that beast is going to make you sick and afflict you. I said, we, as Christians, wouldn't dream of sharing our mate with nobody else. I'm going to tell you a fact. You know, it would r- grossly upset me if I walked into a restaurant and my wife was in a restaurant with another man just having dinner. If the two of them were sitting at a table together and I didn't know where she was. And she hadn't asked me to meet this person and talk about business. And if I walked into a restaurant and I saw her in there, I would be offended. Would you? You too, huh? Of course. Why is that? Why? I mean, she's not doing nothing wrong. She's just having dinner with this guy. That don't look good, does it? I'm jealous. It's a, there's the appearance of evil. That's right. The appearance of evil. Now then, if if she called me and said, "Honey, there's this person that wants to help me with Christ for the nation or Christ uh, Haven," and uh, he's down here at this restaurant, he owns this restaurant, and he said, "If I'll come down, he'll buy me dinner, and we'll talk about this over dinner." Can I have dinner with him? Then I might say okay to something like that. Might. I might. You heard me say that, right? <laughs> Depends on who it was. If he's 90 years old, got lots of money, don't have no teeth, I'm, <laughs> I might say, okay. <laughs> oh, goodness. Y'all know to say where I'm coming from, don't you? It, do you have a mate? No, you're not married. But if you had one, you wouldn't want to share him with somebody else, would you? No, absolutely not. Did you know, before God brought Cheryl into my life, after my first wife died, I planned never to remarry. I wouldn't date. I, I, did, I had never. I mean, I, this this was the furthest thing away from my mind is to start over again, looking for another woman. You know, I mean, when you get my age, you think, "Hey, I had one for 41 and a half years. I had a good one. You know, she loved me. She took care of the house, took care of the children, everything. We've had our life together. It's over. She went home to be with Jesus. It's obvious he took her away." you know, to take her to heaven, to give her her rewards. And now then it took my daughter to the same time. So now then God's got something else for me. And so I'm never going to remarry, you know, and I didn't. And I was not. And I never dated. I I even had some women in this church. I've had women over that few, three or four years there that I didn't have a mate at all. I I mean, not that I'm some fantastic catcher. I'm just a normal man. But I had several women ask me to go out with them to dinner or whatever. I told them no. I even had one woman come and told me, she said, I would like to marry you. She was very bold. I said, well, ma'am, I'm humbled, you know, and I thank you for the offer, but no thank you. You know, I'm not looking for a mate. I wasn't. I wasn't. You know, my own son even asked me, Dad, are you ever going to get married? I said, absolutely not. He said, Dad, you're still young. You you know, he said, why not? I said, son, when you get my age, to marry a woman your age, she's going to have to have been married before, more than likely. And she's probably going to have children. And just like me, she's going to have grandchildren, maybe great-grandchildren. And I said, when you got that many people involved, you got problems, and I don't want their problems. You know a family that don't have a problem? You ever met one that don't have a problem? You know, you ever seen a family that didn't have at least one black sheep in the family? If you got more than two or three kids, you see where I'm coming from? You know, there's a the devil out there, folks. You know that, and he's putting us to the test. And if you got two children, chances are one of them went wrong. If you got three or four, guarantee the chances are very good one of them went wrong. And people come to me all the time begging and pleading with me to pray for my son or my daughter. They're living in sin or they won't come to see me or whatever. I hear it all the time. Church people. Took my kids to church every time the door was open. Now they won't go to church. You know. I mean, there's a battle going on. You know, we don't even know it. So to take that on in my life, forget it. I'm not interested. I didn't want you. you, know, you, you know, Have you ever... You ever realize when you get married, you didn't just marry the man or the woman you married; you married the whole crazy family. You know that? <laughs> Am I telling you the truth? <laughs> <laughs> oh, good! If you got a bad family, you keep it from your wife. You don't tell her till you get married. Then the first time you take her over to the, your family's house, she, she what? I got into this mess. What is this? Well, that's the whole thing. I never seen one that didn't have troubles. Troubles. so I didn't want to get married. I just didn't want to take on their problem. And I would have never dated. I would not go in a car with someone. I would, if a woman come up to me and said, let's go down to the restaurant. and talk to you about something. I said, okay, you follow me in your car. I wouldn't even let her ride in the same car with me. And now, if there's three of them, that's okay. I ride down there if there's three of them, yeah, but not one, not one. And I, just, I, just, I just want to stay away from the appearance of evil. You know. I just don't want to take a chance. And so, anyway, it, it, that's the same thing about drinking wine or beer or anything else. The Word of God says, I, as a Christian, have liberty and I have freedom. I can do anything I want to do in Christ. Paul told us that. But he said, everything doesn't profit you. So if I were to like wine, and I know a lot of people like to have a glass of wine for dinner. But I also know that offends a lot of Christians, you know. So if I were sitting in a restaurant and I ordered a glass of wine and you walked in and you and I'm the pastor and you thought wine was a sin and you saw me drinking it, then you'd be offended at me and I have just ruined your faith. And when I do that, God says, I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner, you know, and it's so easy to sin. That's just like God says in his word. I know this is hard for us to grasp. We wonder why we're sick and have this kind of sickness and problem in so many places. But Jesus told us through the Apostle James that if a rich man and a poor man walks into your church, and you go over and say, oh, here's a rich man. you got rings on, and you come right here, sit on the front row. I want you to have a good, you look at this, ooh, $5,000 suit. look, wow, do you look sharp. Look at them polished shoes you're wearing. You're something else. And you look over there, and there's a little port, and you say, somebody will get him, take him back to back, set him back on the back. You know what God says about the man that does that? He says, you're a sinner. He said, you just fell from grace, and you've broken the law, and you're guilty of murder and adultery. How about them apples? What? Let me tell you, someplace in America, and I remember a man, a great man of God, that went to Africa. we got some black people in here today, several of you, your skins are black. But this man went to Africa, and lots of people in Africa have black skin. He went down there, and at that time, the whites and the blacks were in the church, were at odds against each other. If you was black, we don't want nothing to do with you. If you're white, we don't nothing to do with you. And this white man went down there, <clears throat> great man of God, and he had his arm around one of these black preachers. And one of the white preachers come up and he said, you know, he began to read him the riot act. He said, get your hands off of that guy. He looked over and kissed him on the cheek, kissed that black man on the cheek, said, this is my brother. This is my brother. And that white man said a very nasty statement to him. He looked back at him. <clears throat> he said, you know, if you don't love your brother, he said, you're a murderer. And no murderer has eternal life. He said, you know, you can't go to heaven as long as you hate this black man. But well, see, we don't believe the word. And that's a lie of the devil that says, oh, that woman's skin's Black. Did you know? So I'm gonna tell you something. Did you know? In the Supreme Court of the United States, very, it hadn't been very many years ago. The Supreme Court. It's still on record that they made a ruling that if you're black, you're not human. The Supreme Court of the United States of America voted back in this last century that if your skin was black, you was not a human being. How wrong can we be? I mean, I don't care when Jesus made us. He don't care what color our skin does, make, does he, ma'am? I mean, he made a black one and he made a white one. And it don't make a difference to him. He loves you just as much as he does me and there ain't no difference. And we've got to remember that, right? Now then, if he says, if two men the same color walks in, it makes no difference if they're both black or they're both white or both red or yellow or whatever they are. If two of them walks in and I go over and I say, oh, look at these fine jewels you got on. Come over. let me set you down right here. And then a poor one walks on and I say, take him back to back. Put him back here and let him sit on the back corner. Nobody, what color his skin was. He said, if I do that, I am guilty of sin. I am a sinner and I'm guilty. I fell from grace. I have broken the law of God and I'm guilty of murder and adultery. And he says, no adulterer has eternal life and no murder has eternal life. And so how easy is it to sin when you show favoritism? Somebody says, that couldn't be sin. Well, that's, the book says it is. Doesn't it, sir? Doesn't the book say that? It says that. You can't even show favoritism. And did you know I know families that show favoritism between their children? You know, same family, same color, same nationality, same everything, but they show favoritism from one child to another one. You know, God says if you show favoritism, you're a sinner. You know, people don't believe the book, do they? And then we wonder why sickness and disease comes to our house. If you read First Corinthians 13 and learn to walk in those statutes, the church will become the powerful entity that God made it. What we're talking about, the color situation we're talking about, let me tell you something else. Way back, yonder, when Abraham Lincoln was president of the United States, this nation fought a war over color. And the North won. <clears throat> and Abraham Lincoln say, signed an Emancipation Proclamation that set every black person free. That was a couple of hundred years ago, 150 years ago. But let me tell you, even in my lifetime, I have lived to see that when I was a young man in the town I was lived in, no black person could stop in our town. They wouldn't let them. If you were black and you come through, you couldn't stop in Goldsway, Texas, they wouldn't let you stop there when I was a kid. I didn't know why. No black people there. They had never stopped. Wouldn't let them. But a few years ago, a man by the name, a black man by the name of Martin Luther King, came on the scene. And he marched across his nation, and it cost him his life. He was a preacher. He died claiming the rights that was already theirs. You know that, don't you? Martin Luther King, because of his love for people, he took by faith what had already belonged to the black people for the last hundred years. I mean, they had the legal right to eat in any restaurant they wanted to, send their kids to any school they wanted to. Everything was theirs, had been for 100 years already, but there wasn't living in it. They were still living bound. But when Martin Luther came on the scene, it took a few more years. But today, most places in the United States of America, it don't matter what color or creed or nationality or you are, you have the privilege to work where you want to, go to school where you want to, to eat where you want to, go to any bathroom you want to, and that happened because a man took by faith what already belonged to us well let me tell you what that's the most perfect picture of what the devil has done to the church jesus two thousand years ago signed our emancipation proclamation and set us free two thousand years ago the king of the universe came and defeated the devil and then he wrote a book and signed it in his own blood and said i give you power over the devil I bore your sin, I bore your sickness, I removed your disease, I took all your suffering, I did everything. Now you stay out of that devil's camp, and you stay over in my camp, and you walk in faith, and I give you life and give it to you abundantly, and you don't never have to be sick again. And I don't know a handful of people today that believe this book. The promises are here. Behold, listen to this magnificent statement in Luke ten nineteen and 20. Listen to this. This is from the king of the universe. Luke 10, 19 and 20. Behold, I, the king of the universe, give you power to tread on the devil and his demons. A little bit of power I give to you. No, that's not what he said. All power I give to you over them. They shall in no wise hurt you. Nevertheless, rejoice not that the devil and his demons have to be subject to you but rather rejoice because your name's written in heaven. Now then, James 4, 7, he says, resist the devil and he'll flee from you in terror. So when the devil comes to you and begins to put a symptom or a sign or something, or puts a thought in your mind, oh, just sin here, you know, a little thought, you know, you're working with money and you're a, a CPA or something, you know, take a couple of hundred here, nobody will ever know the difference. You, as a CPA, you can hide that. You know the guy that used to be the CPA, the bookkeeper for this company, embezzled over a hundred thousand dollars last year from this company. That owns this building. Which voice you think he was listening to? Sure he was, ma'am. The devil. Sure wasn't God telling him to do that, was it? Now he had power over that beast, but he didn't know it. See when that little voice said, you know, you could take this, you could hide this, nobody would ever know see, the devil also knows that your sins will find you out. And they did, and he lost his job. Yeah. Isn't that amazing how that the Word tells us everything? We're put to the test daily, so whenever the thought comes to us, do this that's wrong. We're to capture that thought. As sons and daughters of God, we're to capture those thoughts, and we're not to go there in sin. I'm going to tell you, it's not easy to walk in faith. I know nearly nobody that does it. Nearly nobody. I don't know, hardly know a preacher that walks in faith anymore. They don't believe this book. I mean, it it has taken me a lifetime to get to the point where I really believe this book, and I've stepped into a world that's allowed God to do so many great and mighty miracles and answer so many prayers for me, and I feel like I've just taken a baby step compared to what's available. If I could just, boy, if I could take a giant step out there, there's no telling what we could get done. But I'm telling you, I've got these same battles to fight every day you do. I have to resist this devil. Every time he puts me to the test some way, I've got to resist him and stand against him. And if I don't have this word hidden in my heart, I'm going to be a pushover for that beast. And that's how the devil's got through to nearly every one of us. Oh, you don't have time for the word, Randy. You know, just go do this or that. Work hard at this or get involved in this or do this. But don't study that old book now. You know, that might change you and mess you up. It'll mess you up, okay. It'll mess you up good. It'll set you free. It'll heal your body. It'll change the way you do business. Won't it, ma'am? Yes, it will. The word, the Lord says, Be ye holy, for I am holy. What do you think He meant there? Yeah. Be holy, for I am holy. Well, what does it mean to be holy? Can I sin a little? Oh, surely God wouldn't mean that I'd have to be completely pure. That's what he says, isn't it? To them that has this hope in them, the hope of Christ, purifies yourself from all evil. You know what it means to be pure? That means to have none. Like I've used the example many times. If I were to take this water up here... And I poured all that, had all that water in a big vat back there. And, I mean, I purified it and cleaned it and run it through a reverse osmosis and done everything in the world. And, I mean, it's pure and clean. And you knew I had it clean? And I said, that's the cleanest, purest water you can get. Great. I put it out here, and you all drink it. One day, one of you walks back there, and I'm dripping one little dropper full of arsenic in that water. Just one little dropper full. Somebody says, he just put a dropper full of arsenic in that big 25 or 30-gallon barrel of water. How many of you are going to drink that water now? I mean, that one little tiny dropper, it ain't going to hurt you. Your body will take care of that. You'd probably be amazed if you knew what was in the water you drink every day. That's why you need to pray over it. Did you know there's no new water you know, the water that rains down, it's been here ever since the creation of time. You know, some of the water you drink, Abraham may have drank it. Do you know, there ain't no new water. Ain't nothing new. You know, it's all been here, just recycles, you know. And a lot of the lakes and everything out here that you're drinking water of has been, come from sewer plants upstream that's been purified And come down to our lakes, and we drink it thinking it's pure and clean. Because the city said we've tested this water, and it's okay. But I'm going to tell you, that water you're drinking has already been through somebody several times. (laughs) I mean, it's a fact. Several times, that's right, several times. But God can clean it and purify it. But let me tell you, that's why today that what we eat and drink, if you want to stay well, and not be sick and afflicted, you need to learn to do what the king says. He said, I have made all foods clean, but you're to sanctify them with the word of God and prayer with thanksgiving. I remember many times I went to Mexico as an engineer, and we'd go down there, and that was before bottled water. The guys would say, now if you go to Mexico, don't drink the water. I said, why? They said, because Montezuma's revenge. Well, I didn't know what that meant. But I went down there one time, not knowing what that meant, and not walking in faith, and I thought, they said, don't drink the water, so I'll drink Cokes, you know, or something like a soft drink. And so on the airplane... And I was flying back and forth uh, all over Mexico, checking some buildings. I was down there for a week. And so on the Mexican airline, we're from point to point every day to a different place, checking a different building, doing all the stuff I was doing. I tried to not drink anything but Cokes you know, or some kind of a soft drink. But what I, you'd think as an engineer, I could have put this together, but I wasn't that smart. When they brought it to me, they always had a glass. She said, do, they, do you want it with ice? Well, I mean, you'd think an engineer knows that water is where ice comes from, right? (laughs) You would think I was that smart, but I I said, sure, I like ice in my Coke. So I drank the ice in my Coke for about three or four days, and when I got home, I barely made it home, and I'm telling you, for the next two days, I was as sick, this has been 25, 30 years ago, I was as sick as a man can be with, with dysentery. I'm telling you, it was awful. It was awful. I didn't know how to walk in faith. I didn't know how to pray over my stuff. I didn't know how to do these things. Was I a Christian? Sure I was. I go to church every time the door was open. But I didn't know what rightfully belonged to me. After I learned, after I learned by prayer, I can sanctify with the Word of God and prayer with thanksgiving, I can sanctify word, food or drink. I can make it pure and clean, and I can energize it. In the name of Jesus. When I learned that, that I had dominion and power, he had come to give me life. Then when we'd go down there, I'd eat anything I wanted to, drink anything I wanted to. And I'd pray. The said, don't drink that water, Thurman. I said, no problem. I'm immune to this stuff. I can drink water. I'd drink the water. I'd drink a drink or I'd have ice in it. You know, I'd eat the food. I did everything. And I never got sick again. I've eaten with the same bunch of guys at the same table, order the same thing, and every one of them gets sick, and I did, it didn't touch me. I'm telling you what's available as a son of God. If you're a child of the king, he's given you dominion and power over these things. What does he mean when he says, behold, I give unto you power to tread on the devil and his demons? All power is given to you over them. They shall in no wise hurt you. No wise hurt you. So where does sickness and disease come from? The devil. How much power do you have over the devil? Hey, so why should we be afraid of anything as children of God? Now then what if you're out there walking in his camp? What if you're living in some kind of sin? (laughs) Now you're in trouble. You don't want to be out there. Because if you're living in some kind of sin, When that thought comes to your mind to do something wrong, if you yield to it, you have just fell from grace because you've sinned. If all you've got to do is just make a judgment between a poor man and a rich man walk in you're guilty of adultery and murder, and you fell from grace, then if you commit any kind of sin, Paul says you fell from grace, and you're back under the law. So when you fall from grace, you're back under the law. You're guilty of breaking all of the law. And so does the devil have legal right to attack you? Sure he does. You're not walking into God kind of love. So when you repent of every sin and get back into God kind of love and you walk in total faith, and that's the only place that will keep sickness and disease away from you. Just like Cheryl, my own wife, the other day she called me. and Actually, didn't call me. She was at the home. And she had a little bad thing. It was on her eye. That's what it was. She woke up the other morning. I was just running like crazy. She called me. She, Honey, get in here. You got to pray for my eye. Look at that. I can't already see. My eye's all puffed up and it's running. And I got to go meet with some people for Christ Haven. And I don't want to go down there with these people trying to get them to give us money. And with my eye running, my makeup, I look awful. I said, you know. Maybe God's going to use you like that. You know, maybe he don't want you to be that beautiful woman today. Maybe he's going to use you. I don't know. But I said, I'll pray for you anyway. I said, I'll pray for your eye and God fix it. He promised me in John 14, 13, whatever I ask the king for in the name of Jesus, he'll do for me. Did he say that? Now, if Jesus said, and if you don't believe this, if you get your Bible out... I want you to read John fourteen thirteen and 14 and see the promise Jesus made you as a son or daughter of God. I want you to see it. You got, this is how faith comes, seeing it in the Word, not hearing me talk about it, knowing that what I'm saying is the truth of the Word of God. In John 14, 13, 14, Jesus two times said, Anything you ask the Father in my name, I will do it for you. Did he? Was he talking to you? You're a daughter of the king. So he's your brother. Yeah. And yes, he is. No, well, he's your God, but he's your brother. Yeah. He says he is. Yeah. And the Holy Spirit's your teacher. Right. And the Father right. is God the Father. Right. And he's your daddy. Yes. So, I mean, we kind of got this thing kind of rigged to start off with, really, if we know all that, don't we? The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and he are all on my side. That's right. We're his children. That's right. Okay. So if Jesus made me a promise in John fourteen thirty. Anything I ask the Father in the name of Jesus, he will do. Did he say that? You think he meant that? Okay, then I ask him and to heal my lovely wife's eye, and I thank him for doing it. I've done what he told me. And 20 minutes later, she calls me and said, Honey, I, I, I'm almost down here where I'm going, and my eye's still running. You've got to pray again. Turn over to James chapter 1, verse 6 and 7, and see what happens when you do what she said. Turn to, one, turn to James 1, 6 and 7, and see what God says. James 1, 6 and 7, let's see what the king says. I just, this is a question and answer time, you might say. James chapter 1, 6 and 7, and let's see what how you've got to ask when you ask. James 1, 6 and 7. Now, let's get over there and let's see James 1, 6, and 7. That's right after the book of Hebrews, for those of you that don't, don't open your Bible very much. For those of you that don't know where it's found. It's just to the right of the book of Hebrews. James chapter 1, verse 6 and 7. But when you ask, you must ask, how? In, faith. In what? In faith. A little bit wavering. No doubt. Oh, no doubting? Oh, but what if I do doubt a little? Oh, wait a minute. Now, if I doubt, I don't get nothing? I, anybody else's Bible say what hers did? She, hers got to be wrong. Anybody else's Bible say that if you ask in, without complete faith, you ask doubting, you don't get nothing? Does everybody's Bible say that? You know what I told Cheryl when she said, honey, you got to pray again. You know what I told her? I said, no, woman, I prayed for you. It's done. I said, just start praising him. It's done. Okay, she said, honey, okay. <laughs> she called me back about 10 minutes later, fixing to go in the place. And she said, honey, within five minutes after you called me a while ago, my eyes completely well. Now, you see, so you see how we miss it? We ask, and then we don't get it in 20 minutes. And since it didn't happen in 20 minutes, like you said a while ago, you doubt. And it don't happen then, does it? No. you got to believe God. That's the part that you got to believe. When you ask, you ask in faith, nothing wavering. Father, in the name of Jesus, you told me in John 14, 13, I could ask you for anything. So for my lovely wife, that eye, I don't know what that devil's doing to her this morning, but I rebuke that beast, command that beast to leave that eye. And Father, I ask you to restore that eye and make it perfectly well. In Jesus' name, you made me a promise. It's done. Thank you, Lord. It's done. So he says, okay, okay. I heard my son say that in faith. Now we're going to find out. I'm going to leave that there for a little while. I'm going to see how Cheryl responds. I'm going to test her faith today. And she failed her test. Any of you girls ever failed your test? Yes, we have. Have any of us guys ever failed our test? Yes, we have. How many times have I missed it? I couldn't even count the number of times I've missed it. But I'm beginning to get a hold of it. And when I said, no, woman, it's done. I prayed for you once, it's over. All you need to do is praise him. Boy, I mean, she just, okay, honey, okay, I got it, I got it, I got it. I'll just praise him. And then 10 minutes later, she calls back and said, five minutes after I hung up phone up, my eye was perfect. No running, no nothing. I'm perfect. Does God expect us to believe his word? Yes, he does. But, you know, he will allow you to be tested. Why does he allow us to be tested? He wants to know what we're made out of. Do you really believe the word of God? Oh, I hear people say that all the time. Yes. But they don't. You know, I have never yet, never met a Ph.D. that had a Ph.D. in the Word of God that I can ask him, do you believe this Bible? Absolutely every word in it. I said, that's not true. I do. I believe it. Just like that doctor of theology that his favorite book is the book of John. I said, how about the Word? What do you mean, Herman? I said, well, James 5, 14, 15, and 16. What does James five fourteen fifteen 15, and 16 say? James 5. Yeah, you were right there in James 1, so you're not very far away. James five fourteen fifteen sixteen. 15, 16. What does James 5... Oh, wait a minute. Just a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Let me turn this mic on, 14, and I 13, want you to quote that to all of us. What does it say? Is there anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing songs. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and... Let him And let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of the faith will save the sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sin, he will be forgiven. I'm going to tell you, there's not a handful of people I ever met in my life that believes that verse. Eldon says, I believe it. But he didn't always believe it. But he's believing it now. And you know, when you do it now, you've got to believe it and say it's done, right? That's right. You can't say, well, now well, we're going to pray over you and anoint you with oil, and maybe if God's listening, he'll heal you. That don't never work, does it? No, it don't never work. In other words, here's what we should do if you're sick. Did he promise right there, even if your sickness is due to a sin, he'll forgive your sin? So he promised to forgive your sin and to heal your body, didn't he? So there should never be a person that if they get sick... They come to the church first, not come to the doctors. We ought to come to God first through the church. We ought to come to the pastor and the elders of the church and say, I seem to have this little sickness I can't get rid of. I've been rebuking the devil, praying over it, but I'm not able to get well. I want to stand on James 5:14, 15, and 16. I want you all to pray the prayer of faith for me. I think I've got every sin repented of. I mean, I, I mean, I have checked my life, and if there's anything wrong, I don't know about it. If there's any sin, any unforgiveness, anything, I've got it repented of. I am walking in a God kind of love. I'm doing everything the king says in his word. I'm spending time with him daily. I'm reading his word. I'm loving him. I'm loving his people. But I got this little sickness. I just can't get rid of it. I want to stand on James five fourteen, fifteen, 15, and 16. Okay. So you come up. I know them with all two or three of us elders like Eldon and Tom, uh, and two or three others, we get around them and we anoint them with oil, pray the prayer of faith for them, and say, It's done. What should they say? It's done. Jesus said it. Praise God, I'm healed. Walk out this door and say, That's it. I got my healing. Somebody said, Well, you don't look any better than you did when you come in here. I mean, you still got puffy eyes. You still red under the. I mean, you still, you don't, you ain't healed, woman. Praise God, I'm healed. Why am I healed? The Word says, I'm healed. Is that the way you stand? Yes, I said, in faith, Jesus said, if I don't believe, I ain't gonna get nothing. So I believe by faith, I am healed. It's done. There ain't no devil of hell can stay because I am a daughter of the king or a son of God and I am healed because it's written in that book. Amen. The next morning you wake up and you're worse. And you say, that's okay. I'm healed because them deacons and elders, that pastor, he prayed over me in faith. He guaranteed me God's word was true. It can't be wrong. God always says yes to his promises. In Second Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20, he said all the promises of God are yes and amen. Every, never, no, never. Not one time is his promises. No. So I'm healed. I can't be no other way, but I'm healed. And so you stand on it. What, what if the next week you're still worse? The word says, that's right, ma'am. The word says, I'm healed. I remember when uh, the little lady was here, Miss Emily Dotson. She said, as she learned these promises with her cancer that the devil had put upon her, she stood on that word. She stood on that word. She said, when her little Baptist friends had come over to see her, Miss Emily, how are you doing? She said, I'm healed by the power of the word of God. They'd look at her and say, well, you don't look healed. She said, I don't care what I look like. I don't care what I feel like. The word says I'm healed, so I'm healed. She said, my little friends would go out and say, poor Miss Emily, she's lost it. You know, we'll have to send her to a mental institution. You know, I mean, there we were in there and she looked so awful. You know, I mean, shriveled up, drying up. And she has the audacity to say she's healed. Anybody would know she's not healed. But let me tell you, she fought her battle for a year. And let me tell you, she won it. And that's when she was 50 something years old, she won it. And today she's 75 years old and she still got it won. Now, for a little Southern Baptist woman that had 13 surgeries, time she is 53 years old, but from 53 to 75 has had no more sickness and disease and is able to get people healed and stand up here and preach the word for hours. In fact, the day she preached the word here in this church on Sunday afternoon, we were still here at 10 o'clock that night casting out demons and healing the sick. I finally told them, of course, I had, been, I had been fasting and praying for her and for all that. And at 10 o'clock that night, I told them, I said, hey, that's it. Everybody's not healed by now. We're going home. We're going to call it quits. I said, for a 75 year old woman, this is long enough for her to be here. You know, she's been here for 10 hours. Standing and casting out demons and healing the sick and preaching the word of God. Hey, I mean, how I many 75-year-old woman you know can do that? You know, why did she, why as a Southern Baptist woman was she sick and have 13 surgeries times she's 53 years old? Because she didn't know the word. But she learned the word. See, when she was given that final diagnosis with lupus, when the doctor said, Well, Emily, we can do one more surgery on you and you might live another six months but this time you're going to die. She said, nope, I've been cut and stuck so many times, I ain't going there no more. She said, I'm going to die in six months, I'm just going to just go ahead and die like I am. So she just gave the devil legal right to kill her. So she goes home and goes to bed, thinking she's going to die. And then a little, bab- not a Baptist, a little non-denominational preacher come by and told her, said, Miss Emily, you've got a choice in this. Do you know that Jesus has already bore your sin and bore your sickness, removed your disease? She said, no, I didn't know he had removed my sickness and disease. I said, well, he has. And by faith, you can kick out this devil and you can get healed. By his stripes, you were healed. And so she said, what? So she got a little bitty morsel of faith. And she began to stand on those two or three scriptures she had. And now then she's not losing ground anymore, but she ain't gaining much either. So she needs more word in her. So she said, I go to a meeting. A friend of mine comes by one day and said, there's a man up here in Tennessee going to have a week-long meeting, and he teaches faith. I want you to go with me. She said, okay. So I wasn't in too good a shape. But she said, I went and said, I went to that little church, and he said he had pews up there. They were wood, and there was no padding. And she said, we sat on those wooden pews and said, I've never seen a man start at 5 o'clock and still preaching wild at 12 o'clock at night. Well, she said, this guy was. So she said, I was learning things I've never learned in my life. But she said, the next night, I took my pillow from the hotel room. And she said, I sat on it because I never sat in church six or seven hours at one time, never in my life. But she sat there all week long, every night. And she said, at the end of all of that, she had already learned that by his stripes she was healed. In fact, she had made a declaration I, Emily Dotson, on this day declare that by the stripes of Jesus, I was healed. Signed, Emily Dotson. Made that declaration. She said at the end of that week, he finally gave the invitation. Said, If anybody wants to be prayed for for healing now, I've built your faith all week. So if you want to come up, I'll pray for you. She said, I looked over my friend and said, reckon I ought to go up and have him pray for me? So my friend looked at me and said, well, I don't know. Maybe I ought to ask God. But I never thought about that. He said, Lord, should I go up there and let him pray for me? And she said, Lord, spoke to me. He said, when you wrote that declaration on this date that said you were healed by my stripes, did you mean that or not? Well, yes, Lord, I meant it. She said, he said, okay, you don't need him to pray for you. If you meant what you said, it's done. Boy, that was a faith builder for her. So she left there and went home and said, hey, it's done. Now she's had an audible voice from God, but she gets worse and worse. She said, there would be times I'd have to get up out of that bed with all the strength I had and just stomp my feet and said, you devil of hell, you ain't going to have me. In the name of Jesus, by the stripes of Jesus, I am healed. And she said, I'd fall back down in that bed because I'd used every ounce of strength I had. But in a total of a year, she came out on the other side completely healed. And today, she is still completely healed, and she's a little ball of fire. In fact, when Emily, how many of y'all know Emily Dodson? Anybody here ever know her? Only a handful of y'all know Emily Dodson. Wow, what a blessing. You've missed. She's a great woman of God. In fact, Cheryl, when she was here, Cheryl told me, said, honey, I want to be just like Miss Emily when I get old like she is. I said, you will be. I guarantee it. She said, I want to be a ball of fire just like she is. I said, and you will be. Because God will give you the desires of your heart. All you've got to do is love him and serve him. And he'll give you the desires of your heart. You know, isn't it amazing how good God is when you do what he says? He'll bless your socks off. Somebody walked in the and I said, how are you doing? He said, I'm sockless.
1: <laughs>
0: so what do you mean? He said, God's blessed my socks, plumb off. <laughs> he said, I've heard you say that so many times. I thought I'd just tell you. Hey, he's blessed my socks. Blub off. He does. He does. He's a great and mighty God. He's the King of kings and Lord of lords and God of gods. And he's God and he's in charge of everything. And he's given you and me a book full of promises under the new covenant that if we will walk in the God kind of love, he has given us promises of what we can do and when we quoted that promise a while ago of James 5:14, 15 and 16 how many and who did God promise to heal and how often did he promise to heal you if you if you were willing to do that in faith every time right every time to anyone that is sick among you let him or her call for the elders of the church I went to Tennessee to pray for a woman here a few years ago. She was on staff at a huge Baptist church. She had even written some books. She came down sick, really sick. When she got too weak to work on staff anymore, she's at home and she's reading God's word. And she came upon that magnificent promise you read to me a while ago, young lady, James 5, 14, 15, and 16. Wow, she read that, she read that, she read that. God, this is a promise from you to heal me. She called her senior pastor and asked him to come over to the house to see her, and he did. She said, sir, I want to do this. I want to be healed. I'm only 40 years old. I don't want to die. And the pastor, when she wrote, he said, we don't do that in this church. He would not do that for her. In that church. And she was on staff in that church. And guess what happened to her? She died. That's exactly right. She died. 40 year old beautiful young woman. Had a degree from one of the big Baptist colleges. Writing books and on fire for Jesus. But she didn't know his word. You can be on fire for Jesus. And not know his word. You know, lots of, it happens to lots of good people. Why does that happen? Because we got an army of demons out there. That's deceiving our minds. Why so many people lost? You'd think anybody in the world. If I were to tell you, hey, let me pull out right here out of my pocket, and I got a little flyer right here, a brochure, and attached to it is two tickets paid from here to Honolulu, Hawaii, with a week in the best Marriott Hotel over there, the best resort hotel you can find, and I've already prepaid everything. The hotel's paid for the airplane tickets are paid for, and here's five $1,000 bills attached to it. Who wants this? Ooh, I mean, that woman, that didn't take her long to hold her hand up, man. She wants that ticket. But, you know, she held her hand up right quick. And, and you grabbed for it, okay. But almost nobody raised their hand because you thought, I'm joking with you. But see, God made us promises that far exceed that in his word. And we don't believe he means what he says either. We don't believe it. And so we don't get to enjoy the benefits. The average person, if I were to make that kind of claim, that'd say, okay, what's the catch? I'll take it like she did or she did. I'll take it, Thurman. No questions asked. I want that. If it's two round-trip tickets away Hawaii to the finest Marriott Resort Hotel and five $1,000 bills, I want it. Give it to me. You know, now see, with the promises of God, we should be jerking those out of the word. When Jesus makes a promise, if you're sick and afflicted, come and ask me to pray. Ask the deacon, ask the pastor and some of the elders to pray over you, the prayer of faith, and I promise to heal you. So when we pray that prayer of faith, we will say, Lord, we come to you and we stand on this promise right here. James 5, 14, 15, 16. We're anointing this person with oil. We're praying the prayer of faith for him. Now, Lord, you promise to heal him. It's in your ballpark now. It's done because you made us a promise. I guarantee you, man or woman, you are healed because Jesus made you a promise. All you got to do is leave here and begin to praise him and worship him and thank him. See, the last, was the last healing school was the other night at Bible study a couple of weeks ago. We had a couple come here. Vernon Cannon and his wife from New Mexico. What, that's where they were? Yeah, Carlsbad or Hobbs or wherever it was. New Mexico. And they had been here two months before at a healing school. And Vernon had been born with dyslexia and couldn't read or couldn't put words together on, you know, on, on a book or a page. Born with it. He's 77 years old. Never had been able to read. Never. When you look up you'd see words all out of line, everything, you know, nothing had dyslexia. He came to me and asked me at a healing school, Have you ever seen God heal anybody with dyslexia? I said, Well, I don't think I ever prayed for nobody with dyslexia. He said, Do you think God can heal dyslexia? I said, No. I don't think God can heal dyslexia. I know he can heal dyslexia. (laughs) (laughs) There ain't nothing the devil can put on you that God can't supersede. Of course. He said, well, will you pray the prayer of faith for me? I said, I will. And I guarantee you, if you'll worship him and praise him, he'll do it for you. I prayed the prayer of faith for him. He still couldn't read. When he left that door, there I said, can you read it?" He said, no, it's, I ain't nothing changed. I said, you continue to praise him and worship him and thank him. And Lord, it's done. What did he say? His he promises are how often? Yes and amen. All the time. So Vernon went home to Hobbs, and he praised and worshipped the Lord. He woke up in the morning, praised and worshipped the Lord. 77 years. But now then, all of a sudden, he's changed. Lord, thank you that I can read. Thank you, Lord, that I can see those numbers and their words, and they're all straight, perfect. In the name of Jesus. Two and a half months. Two and a half months, he said that. Nothing changed. Then he said, on Sunday morning, we went to church, and we're standing to sing. I could never see the words. They're all out of line. But he said, all of a sudden, I look up and I thought, wow, what a bright new screen they put up there. The lights are so bright this morning. He said, when they put the words up there, they were all in order and I could read them. Hallelujah. He said, I thought, wow. So he said, we go to restaurant to eat where we, I walked in and said, for the first time, the crystal and everything is clear and I can read the menu. He said, we go home, and I finally tell my wife. I don't see how he kept this. You know, I just don't see how he kept this. <laughs> After 77 years, but he said, we go home, and I tell my wife, honey, God done a miracle for me this morning. I can read. I can see. And said, my wife went hysterical. She jumped, screamed, worshipped, and prayed. She said, well, if you can read, let me run here and get the Bible. She run, he got the Bible brought, and set it down in front of him, and he read it perfect. Ty is a doctor, and when Vernon was here, Ty was here, and when he told Ty this, Ty told him, you have had a miracle from God medically that cannot be healed. There is nothing medically can do what God did for you there, but God did it. And his lovely little wife, she had, three or four weeks before, had hurt her arm doing something, and pain had been in her wrist. He had prayed for her, they had prayed for each other, and nothing had happened. And after three weeks of pain on Tuesday morning, she said, It's time we we'll go to Dallas now, Thurman, pray for me. Well, they drove from Hobbs or wherever it was in New Mexico here and got here for Tuesday night Bible study. And I was setting up chairs, and they walked in. And she told me, She said, We're from Hobbs, New Mexico, and we were at healing school a couple of months ago, and I have a tremendous pain in my wrist. We cannot get it taken care of. I want you to pray for me. And I know when you pray for me with your faith, God's going to heal me. Is that the kind of faith you need? I reached up. I had the privilege to reach up and put my hand on her and said, Father, in the name of Jesus, heal her. And she screamed and said, the pain just left. I'm healed. And she had no more pain when they left. I'm telling you, her faith in the king, but her faith had to come through me. She had to have me pray for her because I have paid that price to walk where God wants me to walk. He honors my prayers when I pray. Now, if I could get to that place where I could give Him to honor every prayer, that's where I want to get. Well, I'm going to be the first to tell you I ain't there yet. I ain't never met the man that's there yet. But some are closer than others. But I'm going to tell you it's available. But it comes with a cost to walk holy and obedience to his word. And if you'll do that, just think, you know what kind of a privilege it was to have a man, 77 years old, never been able to read, and I pray for him, and two and a half months later, he can read. You know what kind of privilege that is? To change a man's life like it. And I got to pray that prayer of faith for him. Somebody said, well, just a coincidence. Don't tell me that. Ty, as the doctor says, that ain't no coincidence, was it, Ty? It was God that showed up for Vernon Cannon. And it was God also standing right over that counter because of his lovely little wife of 52 or 6 years, whatever it was. they would been married 50-something years. And when I had the privilege to just touch her in the name of Jesus, the Lord took away her pain and healed her. Wow, what a privilege to serve Jesus like that. Now, that's where we in the church ought to be walking. Every one of you ought to be able to do the same things I do. You need to be walking in such a love walk with God that no demon of hell will be allowed to touch himself to you. I want you to see what the Lord promised you. And we just read that James 5, 14, 15, 16. We just read Luke. uh, I mean, not Luke, but uh, we read uh, uh, John 14,13, 14, and then John 157. What does that say? I want somebody to just tell me what that promise says from Jesus in John 15:7. in have What kind of limitations is that for an obedient child of God? There's no limitations to what He will do for you if my words remain in you. And if you remain in me, then you can ask me anything you want to. How would you like to be walking in a place with God that you could meet that criteria, that you were in him and he was in you, and you could ask for anything? Let me tell you what God did for me the other day. I was needing a book to work on a furnace. One of the furnaces out there was not working. I went over and checked it, and I found out it had... A code, a computer code, it was blinking two little blinks. I said, I don't know what a code two means. So I looked for a book that would tell me I couldn't find it. I went back over to the ministry center, and I looked everywhere I knew to look, and I couldn't find the code book. I called the company I bought it from, and they didn't have another one. I went onto the Internet and looked up the company that made it, and they said on their website, our furnaces will co- uh, Blink out a code for you so you can give the code number to a contractor and they can tell you what's wrong with your furnace and fix it quick and easy. I thought, but what does the codes mean? I couldn't find what the codes meant. And I'm, all of a sudden, Dave Rosenfeld walks them off and said, Thurman, what's going on? I said, I'm upset with myself. He said, What's wrong with you? I said, I'm looking for a code book. I know I got it somewhere and I can't find it nowhere. He says, Well, He said, my pastor would say, have you prayed about it yet? (laughs) You know who his pastor is, don't you? Me. (laughs) He said, my pastor would say, have you prayed about this yet? I said, God, forgive me. I'm so sorry. I've been so busy trying to get this crazy furnace fixed. I forgot to stop and ask you. I said, Father, forgive me. I said, Father... You did say in your word, I could ask you for anything, you'll do it. I said, Lord, I need to know where the code book is. Could you please tell me? I said, thank you, Lord. And instantly, the thought came to my mind, and I jumped up of my office, ran around into another room, and went right there and opened that drawer, and there was that book. I mean, I had it in five seconds after I prayed. What did the king say? If my words remain in you and you remain in me, you've you got to ask what you will. Well, what if you don't ask? What if his word's in you and you don't act? You don't get it, right? Isn't that awesome? You see how the enemy can deceive you. I don't care who you are. He can pull you off, get you so busy trying to get something fixed, and you fail to ask the king. And all that time, he's waiting. He's there saying, son, ask. If you don't know where the book's at, all you got to do is ask me. I'll be happy to tell you. I know exactly where it is. And when I ask, man, I got the answer just like that. You see what I mean when I say it's so difficult for us to believe this book and then to live by this book. Now then, let's read this in the in in NLT. Let me show you something over here in the book of Psalms. Let's go to Psalms, and I want to read this to you. We we read Psalm one hundred three the benefit package of the Lord. But I want us now to look at this Psalms 91 in the NLT, and I want to show you what's available to you if you will believe God. Psalms 91. This is written to those that live in the shelter of the Most High. They will find rest in the shadow of the Almighty. Those who live in the shelter. Of the Almighty. You've got to live with Him every day. In His Word. Talk to Him. Praise Him. Worship Him. Thank Him. To those who live. Not come to me once in a while. But you live with me. In other words, if I come over. If I were to come over to your house for dinner one day. If you're a hospitable man, you might say, Thurman, come on in. I'll have my wife fix dinner for you today. Right? Okay, i come in and have dinner with you. But I ain't living with you, am I? No, I just come in and have dinner with him one day. But if I'm living with him, I'm there all the time. He's going to provide for me all the time. Every day he's going to provide a meal for me, or two or three meals a day, whatever, clothes and everything else. That's if I'm living with him. I'm dwelling with him in the secret place. He's my best friend. I'm dwelling with him. That's what God said to those who live with me. Stay in my word. Every time I come in the house, the word's open. We're studying it. We're talking about it. Like yesterday, we had a great privilege to sit and talk about the word of God all day long, and then all night long, and then we praised God and talked about it, and even got home last night at 1230, we still talk about the word. Me and Dave still talked about the word, even when we got home. Wow. What a day we had yesterday in the word, talking about our favorite subject, our master, Jesus. He says this, uh, in verse 2 in the NLT, says, This I declare of the Lord. He alone is my refuge. He is my place of safety. He, I put him first in everything. For he will rescue you from every trap and protect you from the fatal plagues. Now, if you've made him number one, If you put God first and you live with him and dwell with him in his word, he promises he will rescue you from every trap. How many traps? Every Every trap of the devil. He will rescue you. That devil's going to come by and put you to the test. But God's going to rescue you out of every trap and he will protect you from the fatal plague or the sickness and disease. He'll protect you. Ain't no no sickness and disease going to come upon you. It's going to kill you. He will shield you with his wings. He will shelter you with his feathers. His faithful promises are your armor and protection. His faithful promises are your armor and protection. You stand on his promises. What can you do if you know God's promises? Man, you can resist the devil with him, you can stand on his word, and you can resist that devil, and Jesus will protect you and heal you. Just like when the devil came to Jesus in the wilderness, every time the devil tempted him with something, what did Jesus say? It is written. It is written. And he quoted the word of God. Do not be afraid of the terrors of the night, nor fear the dangers of the day. Because, see, they're out there day and night. Nor dread the plagues that's there in the darkness. You don't have to dread these plagues. They're here. Nor the disaster that strikes at midday. None of this stuff do you have to be afraid of. None of it. Though a thousand fall at your side. What would you feel like if a thousand people just fell dead at your right hand? Would you be afraid? Most people would. Most people what? And though 10,000 are dying around you. In other words, the bird flew. Or an atom bomb. Or an atom bomb. Anything. A nuclear bomb. But the bird flew. is probably going to be one of the things that's going to come to America soon. When it does, it's going to kill lots of people, even lots of Christians. Why? Because they don't know who they are in Christ. They don't believe this written word. He says, if a thousand is falling at your side and ten thousand are dying all around you, what do most people start doing? They get into fear and panic. But he says, these evils will not touch you. That's a promise from God, isn't it, brother? Well, what do you got to do to make this work for you? You've got to dwell in the secret place of the Most High God. You've got to spend time with the king every day and a bunch of it, right? Oh, I'll, I'll, I'll go to church on Sunday, maybe at least every other Sunday. You think that's going to protect you when this comes upon you? No, it's not going to do it. That's why people are sick and afflicted now. Because they've not done what the king says. You do what he says and I guarantee you won't have any sickness and disease. He promises it. But you've got to do it his way. You say, well, I've got a little grudge over here against my ex-husband. He done something bad to me. If you've got a grudge against your ex-husband, that's bad. Like a woman said the other day. I hats off this woman. She said, If your husband is one of those guys that comes in and beats you, she said, don't divorce him. Call the cops have him locked up. But stay married to him. I thought, boy, this woman's a real woman. She said, yeah, God didn't call me to be beat up on by a man, but I'm not going to divorce him because God says I hate divorce. She'd take a whole lot more than that for me to divorce a man, but she said, if he comes in beating me, If he comes in drunk and beat me, I'm going to call the cops and have him come lock him up and put him in jail. So if he gets out and he goes back to it again and he does it again, she said, I'll call him again, and have him put him in a lot longer this time. You're not going to divorce him? She said, no, never. God said, I hate divorce. She said, God said, I hate divorce. She said, I ain't going to divorce him. I'm going to stay with him. Boy, it takes a woman, doesn't it, to do that? You think that woman believes God's word? I tell you, God will honor that. He'll honor that. Then he says, after he says, those evil will not touch you, he said, you will see it with your eyes. You will see how the wicked are punished. Who is punished? Who's this people out here dying? They're wicked. They're people that don't believe the word. If you, if you make the Lord, if you make the Lord your refuge. Now see, this is if you choose God. The, Here's the thing I've learned about the Word of God. God made a set of rules thousands of years ago, and he put it in this book. He ain't trying to prove to you he's God. He knows he's God. He don't care if you believe it or not. You say, I don't believe there's a God. I'm an atheist. He said, that's okay with me. I don't care. You know, I don't want you to die and go to hell, but I ain't going to try. I ain't going to come down and do something supernatural for you to prove that I'm God. I've already done something supernatural. All you got to do is look at the earth you're standing on. All you got to do is look out them stars and moons. If you don't believe because of that, you ain't going to believe. He said, there ain't nothing going to cause you to believe. I ain't going to come down and give you a sign. I've already given you signs everywhere. And the grass, the trees, the sun, the moon, the stars, everything you see is a sign for me that I'm real. I ain't trying to prove nothing. I've already done it. Now, I said, I made a set of rules. And this set of rules... It's just like the police officers here, the city of Dallas makes a set of rules. They said, out there on that freeway, you can drive 60 miles an hour. You drive over 60 miles an hour, we've got a set of police officers sitting out there. They're very ready to take you down and give you a ticket, and you get nasty with one of them. When he stops you, we'll just take you right to jail and lock you up. No questions asked. No drunk driving on the highway. Oh, that's okay, you know, but I'm going to drink and I'm going to drive if I want to because it's my legal right. Sure, no problem. Get out there drink. But if you get out there and I see you driving drunk, I'm going to call the cops myself and have them come pick you up. I've already had one sister got killed by a carload of drunks. You know, she never drank a drop in her life, but a carload of drunks passed her truck going up a hill and hit her headlights to headlights once she was 21 years old and killed her. Her and one of her friends, 23 years old. The devil was in those drunk people. I know who's in them now. So if I see you driving and drinking, I'm going to call the cops and I'm going to have you put away. Because you don't need to be on the highway. They say, you ain't my friend. Yes, I am. Because if I don't do that, you're going to kill yourself or somebody else. And if you kill yourself like that, you're going to hell. And if you get in jail, you might get saved. So yeah, I'm your friend. You just don't know it. But he says, if you make the Lord your refuge, if, this is a choice we all have to make, and God's not trying to prove nothing to nobody. He just wrote the book and said, you can believe it or not. If you believe it, fine. You can be saved. If you don't, you can die and go to hell. I bore your sickness. If you believe it, I'll take it away and heal you. If you don't, you can be sick. I'm not trying to prove nothing to you. I wrote the book, told you what I'll do. All you got to do is do what I said. If you make the most high of your shelter, if, if you make the Lord your refuge, if you make the most high of your shelter, no evil will come near you. How much evil? None. That's a promise from God. No plague or no sickness will come near your dwelling, your house. How much sickness? None. None. So what's wrong? We're not doing what he says. We're not putting him first. And he knows whether you're putting him first or not. He knows your sin. You can't fool him. He's God. And he's with you 24-7. Somebody says, well, but you know, I I just... uh, Steal a little, or I just lie a little, or I just commit a little adultery once in a while. Nobody knows. Oh, yeah, let me tell you, God knows everything you do. He knows everything you do, and he's with you when you do it. He's standing right there watching you do everything. In fact, I think of this preacher I talked to here a while back. He's a pastor at a big church. they got lots of pastors there, many of them, probably 20 or more. Big church, and I spoke at that church and after that, he come, and we had a little bite to eat together, and he tucked me in. He said, you know, a few years ago, before I learned these things that you've learned, he said, I got upset with my wife. We had a little falling out one morning, and so I did, we didn't talk for two or three days. What a shame for a pastor and his wife, huh? But anyway, they hadn't talked a few days. He said, I went down somewhere to a store shopping, and I walked in, and I saw an old high school flame, a girl that he really had a lot of feelings for when he was young, and said, I saw her, I said, hey, how are you doing? She said, oh, come over and hug me, grab me and squeeze me real tight. And I said, well, how are you doing? She said, I'm great. He said, well, how's your husband? Oh, she said, I divorced him. I'm not married. She said, how's your wife? He said, oh, well, she's Okay. So he said, we sat and talked a little while. And in a little while, she said, why don't we have some dinner together? So he said, okay. So he said, we had dinner together. And we talked a little while. And, of course, she got very nice and kind and flirty. And in a little while, he said, she said, you know, we haven't seen each other in so long. Why don't you come over to my apartment for a little while? You see anything wrong with this? You see the devil working in this? Oh, yeah. But you see how he's missing it? He goes over there. And he said, in a little while in that apartment, first thing you know, we're in her bedroom together. And he said, I am fixing to do something with this woman I know is wrong. But I'm fixing to do it anyway. He said, I am undressing. And all of a sudden, I hear this voice. I'll just use a fictitious name. John? John? Do you know what you're fixing to do is sin? He said, I turned to look to see who walked in the door, but there ain't nobody there. Guess who that was? That was the Lord. He said, man, did I get my clothes on and get out of there? I never even said goodbye. I just left. (laughs) Who was standing there with him? The The Lord. And he didn't want his preacher to fall. He knew the devil was putting him to the test. He was there watching the whole thing. He said, let me tell you, I realize that God's with me right there all the time. Everywhere I am, he knows. When he said he knows every thought, he said, I know. He said, if he hadn't spoken spoke to me that day, Thurman, I would have sinned. And I said, yeah, and it'd probably cost you your marriage and everything else. He said, I'm so grateful the Lord spoke to me that day. There's a, see, God cries out to us to warn us. And we don't listen. For he, in the next verse, for he orders his angels to protect you wherever you go. Who does he send to watch over us? His angels. These beings of grandeur, these beautiful things. They will hold you with their hands to keep you from striking your foot on a stone. If you're walking in obedience to God's word. I mean, can you be tripped and fall down and break a leg? No. no, not if you're walking obedient to the Word. Not if you're going and doing exactly what God says. He sends His angels, and you slip on something and start to fall. What's those angels going to do? They're going—that's right, ma'am. They're going to pick you up. You're going to—you might even get to feel a hand hold you up. But this only works to those that's walking in total obedience to God's Word. He promises to protect you. And keep you safe. He says you will trample down lions and poisonous snakes. Now who do you think those are? The devil and his demons. You will trample down lions and poisonous snakes. You will crush fierce lions and serpents under your feet. This is the devil and his host. The Lord says I will rescue you. Ooh, I can't think of nothing better than having him on my side. I will rescue those who love me. Oh, only those who love him and put him first. I will rescue. I will protect those who trust in my name. Does it pay good dividends to trust in the Lord? Yes, it does. When they call on me, I will answer. Think about the other day when I called him and said, Lord, I need to know where that code book's at. Did he answer me? Instantly the thought was in my mind. I didn't hear an audible voice that time, but I had that thought just as clear. It's in that back room in that closet right there in that drawer. That's where it is, right there. I went back there, and there it was. It's amazing. I will protect those who trust in my name. When they call on me, I will answer. I will be with them in trouble I will rescue them and honor them. I will satisfy them with a short life. What did he say? A long life. See, you've got to read your word. You never know when somebody might read this book wrong. See, you can't trust anybody but God. I will satisfy you with what? Oh, how long is it going to be before you're satisfied? Hey, I'm with you over there, ma'am. You know, right now, right now, I'm teetering on 120. You know, I mean, maybe, maybe right now. Yeah, well, I mean, since I'm, you know, not, not too far away from 70, 70, you know, that's 50 more years in the future. But 50 years now, I may say, hey, Lord, I'm not, this ain't been long enough. You know, I'm 120. I'm still a young Man. I'm still going places and casting out demons and healing the sick, and I'm enjoying living. Lord, we, I need, I'm like, I need 180 now. Yeah. And then when I get to 180, I'd say, hey, hey, Lord, I need a little more. He said, when are you going to make up your mind? You see where I'm coming from? He said, I will satisfy you with long life. Didn't he? Yeah. So what's long? Well, long is long, but,
1: well, but what about those that are taken early that are not living that
0: Oh, well, see, we don't know that. I have a a problem with that. You know, we really don't know everybody's heart. We really, only God knows your heart. I read a book one time that Dr. James Dodson wrote that says, When God Doesn't Make Sense. Anybody ever read that book? I read that book, and I'm going to guarantee Dr. Dodson doesn't know what I know about the Word of God. That book would have been totally different if he knew what I knew about this book. Mm-hmm. Amen. Totally different. He does not know these promises. He don't believe these promises. Now, if you ask him, he'd say, sure, I believe God's word. But no, he doesn't. There's promises in this book he does not believe. Is there a promise in this book I don't believe? Yes. Why? Because I can't get there. This book is so full of awesome statements. Now, right here in the few verses we read under the law in Psalms 91, if you and I can put God first in everything we do every day of our life, how much sickness and disease will we have? How much? None. How many problems will we have with broken bones? None. How long a life can we have? They satisfy us with long life. Long life. What's a long life? Well, some people say, "Well, gee, 60 that's ancient." Well, if that's old for you, then hey, sixty ain't old for me, is it, you brother? I'm seventy. Huh? I'm seventy. It's, it's not old. It's not old. Seventy's not old, is it? No, seventy's no. not old. Eighties not old. We had a gentleman. Amen. We had a lady in here, I mean a gentleman in here the other day, he's 85, and you would think this guy's 60. I mean, he's writing articles about the Word, he's on fire for Jesus. In fact, this guy had me over to his house here a while back, and he invited me in, and I talked to about 50 friends of his. And he got up and he said, I met this man. This man walks in the greatest faith of any man I've ever met. But he said, I'm going to tell you, I'm not where this man is. But he said, I'm going to get where this man's at. I'm going to get beyond where this man is. But he said, I'm going to take what he's learned and what I know, and I'm going to get beyond him. I said, praise God. Praise God. But he's already 85, and still a ball of fire. And I forget what night it was. Thursday night, I guess it was. I went down with Cheryl and Christy, her daughter, to sing at the nursing home over in Grapevine. And I saw a woman in there in a wheelchair that was barely 50 in a nursing home. And then when Cheryl said, who's, who's 60 or in their 60s? Several people held up their hand. Nearly everybody in the place was in a wheelchair. And then 70, and then 80, and then 90. And there was one woman there that her daughter and her family was there with her for this party that they were having for all these senior adults in this nursing home. Her daughter said, Mama, in January, will be 100. 100. She wasn't in very good shape. She couldn't hardly hold herself up, but she was still alive. Well, let me tell you, that's not what I call abundant life. Now, the promises that God made us here... Is like the two men, we'll tell this story and then we're going to quit for the day. The two men that were sitting on the street corner, and both of them looked the same. Both of them were white-headed, had white beards, and a little bit wrinkled. And the man walked up and he said, Sir, what do you contribute your long life to? He said, serving the Lord, walking holy before him. Doing what God says in his word. He says, fantastic. He said, you really look good and you look strong. Really? He said, how old are you? He said, 98. He said, well, praise God. He looked over at the other man. He says, what do you contribute your long life to? He says, drinking a quart of whiskey every day, smoking two packs of cigarette and running around with a different woman every day. He said, wow. He said, how old are you? He said, 29. They both look the same. <laughs> you think sin don't have a consequence? Yeah. I'm telling you, sin has a consequence. A twenty nine year old smoke, drink, run around with wild women at twenty nine he looks like he's ninety one. But the one that's ninety one is still able to go. You see, don't live where that one lived. For that one that's twenty nine now, if he keeps living like that it won't be long, he'll be dead. Maybe the time he's 35, his life's over, and he'll die and go to hell. And he'll burn in that place forever. But the man that was 91, he had served God, walked in obedience to his word, and now then God has satisfied this man with long life. Hey, the abundant life. I love getting older but yet still being young and having my youth renewed like the eagles. Amen. Having my youth renewed renewed like the eagles. I love living, don't you? I love it. You know, I think about yesterday morning, just to give you an example of what our day was like yesterday morning. I went to bed at about 1 or one thirty the morning, the night before, 1.30 in the morning. I get up at 7. We go out to the airport. We crank up our airplane. The Lord has given us that big, beautiful twin. We all get, me and Cheryl and Dave, we get in it, and we fly 75 miles around to Terrell to pick up Ty and his wife and Eldon and his wife, and we're going to, and it only took us about 22 or 34 minutes to fly around there at 230 miles an hour. We land down there at uh, Terrell. I don't even shut off the engines. They jump in. We close the door, and we take off, In about 21 or 22 minutes, we're in Palestine, Texas. And a man picks us up and takes us to a conference. We're there before 10 o'clock in the morning. And we spend all day with the man. We listen to him teach. We go to dinner, have a great dinner together, talk about the word of God all day. And then we get through there and we rest a couple of hours just sitting talking about the word while he goes and gets ready. He comes back of a meeting from seven till nine thirty. Then we pray with people till ten or ten thirty, and then we go back at the airport. I crank that big beast up and in the dark of the night, go ripping down the runway and we take off and in twenty minutes, twenty four minutes we're sitting in Terrell. They jump out and another twenty five minutes we're back at home and we're sitting in the kitchen having something to eat at twelve thirty in the morning this morning. And I'm telling you, that was my day yesterday. And I'm going to tell you, that's a good day even for a young man. I love being able to live the abundant life, don't you? But see, God promised to do all those things for us if we will be obedient to his word. And he said, I will give you the desires of your heart. And he put a desire in my heart years ago to fly an airplane. And that big, beautiful twin, when we landed at... uh, Palestine, I I will have to say, that was the best landing I have ever made. (laughs) I mean, Cheryl didn't even know we had touched ground. It was the slickest and smoothest landing I have ever made. I usually make pretty good landings in that 421, but that was the best one. It was so easy, I didn't even feel it touch the ground. That's how beautiful it was. But you know, when God says... I will give you the desires of your heart. I feel like a kid with a, in a new candy store. You know, with these airplanes and all the beautiful stuff he's given us to be able to go with all this new electronics and stuff. In fact, the other day when we went to Branson, uh, Nancy, she was sitting in the back, and she looked up there, and me and Ty were flying 9,500 feet, and he's up there trying to figure out the new Garmin 430, high at works because he's got a Garmin in his, and for an, about an hour... We're flying, every once in a while, I kind of look out just a second to look her out and everything. And Nancy Becker said, them guys, who's flying the airplane? All they're doing is reading a book. <laughs> well, we're only going 220, 230 miles an hour at 9,500 feet. You know, if we hit something, you got far to fall, right? <laughs> 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 That's what you were thinking too, right, Nancy? But whenever she said, we would like to go to Branson and go to a show or two, I said, good, we'll go on the airplane. And she said, well, you know, it's a nine-hour drive. I said, yes, an hour and a half to an hour and 45-minute flight. She said, you mean we're going to be there in an hour and 45 minutes? Well, when we went up there, it took us an hour and 45 minutes to get there, and it took us an hour and a half to come home from Branson, Missouri, all the way to Terrell, Texas. And when God says, if you will be obedient and serve me and do what I say, I will give you the desires of your heart. He has done that for this fellow. I love flying. I love serving God, and He has just blessed my socks off. And I praise Him and say, Father, I thank You for this beautiful day. I thank You for this beautiful time we can talk about Your healing power, and Lord, what it takes to walk holy and walk in love and do what You say. And Lord, for everybody that needs to be healed today, all they got to do is repent of their sins, claim a scripture, any scripture that promises them that God will do what he said he will do and let them realize that he will do it for them every time. All they got to do is believe with no doubt in their heart and he will do these great and wonderful things. When we pray for you, we will pray in faith according to his word and he cannot lie, he will heal you. And then all you've got to do is walk in obedience to his word, walk in love, read his word and study his word and you can continue to walk in health. But if you don't, your sickness will come back. So, Father, thank you for showing us these great and awesome things. And thank you, Lord, for allowing us to pray the prayer of faith for people and to heal them in Jesus' name. Amen.